Hey, Michael, have you seen Claire's bags? You seen my son? You seen her bags? Claire's? Her luggage. It's not been brought back here. No one seems to know what's happened to it. Uh, sorry, man, I don't know. I'm just looking for Walt. to go back for what it's down the hatch the lost rewatch podcast here on poster recaps i'm josh wigler joined here by mike bloom hi mike how are you josh what's black and white and red all over oh uh, is, is it a sunburned penguin no it's a zebra after walt makes it run into a window <laughs> which is the sound of the zebra running into the window <laughs> indeed it is oh my god here we are discussing a very special episode of lost <laughs> indeed in fact it is an episode called special but every episode of down the hatch is special because i'm podcasting about lost with my good friend mike bloom what a treat this has been weekly uh and even if we are encountering one of the bottom tiered episodes of season one according to the takes of many of course our takes shall be revealed by the end of this podcast uh still a blast to be talking about lost no matter the quality of the hour yeah, this is a really interesting episode to revisit, specifically, you know, knowing the trajectory of Michael and Walt, which I feel like were one of the more chaotic character-based forces that have happened, you know. That's a good word to use. Yeah, cons- absolutely. Considering, you know, uh, how Malcolm David Kelly's growth spurt, to be quite honest, changed the trajectory of his character and possibly the writing of his character linked with, you know, how we see Michael here in comparison to how he ends up leaving us on the show and then coming back and then leaving us once again. It's a really interesting story to investigate. And on top of that, having everything, the entire canon of the show in our mind's eye, I will foreshadow here, Josh, that it got my brain a tittering and I've come up with Truly, you know, we have, you and I had the uh, the great pleasure of appearing on the great Jack Glatfelters of the old school J and Jack Lost Recaps podcast, where we talked about Exodus uh, on YouTube, and uh, I came up with this in, tr- in honor of Jack some crackpot theories nice. as to how this episode may be viewed a bit differently, and these characters may be viewed a bit differently due to my entirely own insane headcanon. Amazing. Okay, really looking forward to getting into all of that. As Mike says, we were on with Jack. Uh, We were talking about the full range of Exodus, the season one finale. It's about a 90-minute conversation on his YouTube page. We will make sure to link to that in our show notes. But that was a really, really fun conversation, really fun uh, to to get to talk Lost with one of the true OGs of the Lost podcasting universe, uh, Uh, for that uh, rewatch project that's really been uh, a lot of fun to follow along with so if you haven't been checking that out you really ought to we'll again link to that in our show notes of course this is down the hatch this is a spoiler filled lost rewatch podcast as well uh, where we are talking about each episode of lost on a weekly basis in full-on spoiler mode this is an unsafe place if you have not watched lost
lost all the way through, or you at least have to be listening, feeling pretty ready to get peppered with spoilers. There will be plenty in today's podcast. We will also engage your feedback in our 1516 Others section that we get into later on in the podcast. Of course, best way to send us your feedback, your questions, your comments for the podcast is our email address down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom. Type in our Twitter account for Post Show Recaps at Post Show Recaps. We love to get that feedback from you guys by, I would say, Monday nights, Tuesday mornings at the absolute latest. Uh, and of course, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, that is something you should do as well. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch for our Apple feed, but you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts, your ratings, and reviews. Greatly appreciated. With all of that said, Mike, we go forth into the jungle to talk about special directed by Greg Yaitanes, whose name I'm still, I'm sure, botching. Uh, written should I, should once I provide again. an alternate pronunciation just to cover our bases? Yes, let's do that. Yaitanes! Yaitanes, uh, written by David Fury. This originally aired on January 19th. 2005 it is focused on flashbacks for one michael dawson with a small side order of (laughs) i it turned michael has turned apparently into an old coot based on the way like an old mining prospector like yeah there's walt in there oh my god i've just been waiting for a really good excuse to just start shouting walt and i know that a lot of that is is still to come in like season two end of season one when the raft blows up uh and michael really starts looking for walt in earnest but i was so tickled because you know special is not an episode that is especially special to (laughs) me when i look back on the lost canon you know this this tends to blend into the background to spoil that take a little bit um you know but I, I so so with that being said, I'd I'd forgotten that the episode literally begins as this podcast began with Michael just like wandering around the forest shouting for Walt, uh, just screaming for Walt. I would say like if you did like uh, the the post mortem on Michael's sum total of dialogue throughout his time on Lost, I do think like a solid. 15% of his dialogue would just be the word Walt uh, mm-hmm. said in in myriad different ways. Yeah, I mean, if we do a word cloud here, a word smoke monster in Michael's dialogue, it's got to be like, Walt, man, boy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. those are his general phrases. Vincent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is yet another strange episode for a number of reasons. The first one is here, you know, when you have, uh, not to get too far into, into the recap, but you have, you know, his eye-opening Walt screaming Walt. I feel like we don't usually get... The, we open on an eye along with some sort of audio cue. So I feel like off the top, the fact that they're linking this to such uh, a key image of the episode, even up to this point, is really telling us, okay, yeah, we know what we're in for, and it's a lot of Walt. Yeah, at least a dialogue cue with the eye, I think, is is definitely a little bit of a strange choice. Um, I remember um, being pretty hyped for special. Um, I remember being pretty hyped for special because at this point it really did seem like there was something special about Walt and you you wanted to know more. Michael and Walt were two characters that had yet to be illuminated in flashback form. So it was an exciting prospect to get to dig into more of their lives before the crash onto the island. Um, But the big reason why I was really hyped for special is because I love Harold Perrineau. Mm -hmm. I love love this actor i think he is a tremendous 
actor. And as I've uh, as I've said before, I'm sure on this podcast, but certainly on other podcasts and certainly as often as I can possibly get away with bringing it up in my daily life, which admittedly is not terribly often, I am a huge fan of the HBO series Oz, which Harold Perrineau was the narrator. He played Augustus Hill on Oz. He, uh, much like uh, the great John Locke, Augustus Hill was a wheelchair-bound man. Uh, he had these incredible Shakespeare- Shakespearean soliloquies uh, that he would he would deliver to the audience from inside, like this translucent spinning glass cage, while all these other prisoners were standing around him and shanking each other and backstabbing each other literally and otherwise flaunting their genitals uh and oz oz was just a tremendous time uh and i think that oz is an underrated gem in the crown of prestige tv and why we are able to be talking about shows like lost and so many of the other shows that came after it i think that oz is is very highly responsible for for this great wave of television that we have found ourselves awash in so that was where i came to lost from that harold perrineau was one of the actors on this show that i was the most intrigued by because i loved his work on that show i loved that character anytime i ever saw him turn up in anything he would always be sort of this magnetic presence for me mercutio in romeo and juliet and the in the modernization uh, the baz lerman uh, uh, i believe you mean romeo plus juliet i do Gosh, i much do like five Fire plus, Fire plus water. water. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm botching the, the title. Uh, but I was I, I always found myself so drawn to him. So I was really excited to finally get an episode that was going to be mostly focused on him, especially because I remember vividly feeling at this point in the series like, man, they've got Harold Perrineau on their show and they're really not doing a lot with him. Like they've got this like masterful actor in the cast and they just clearly don't quite know how to utilize the character. Uh, And I don't know if the needle moved all that much after special, but I do think at the very least that desire to learn more about the character, to learn more about where he came from, to learn more about um, his dynamic with Walt uh, and to see really exceptional acting from this actor who I loved so much. I think on those levels, at the very least, I did feel satisfied walking away from special the first time. First off, I think you definitely have now put an idea in our head for one of our myriad follow-up podcasts of this, uh, The Fellow Brick Road in Oz Deep Dive, episodically. <laughs> oh, God. I know Zach Brooks is on board for it. I know he's been wanting that for a long time. I don't think that the, I don't think the episodic Oz rewatch is going to happen. It's not, it's not fit for print, uh, even though this is we'll an audio see. medium. We'll see how many listeners click their heels three times. All right, we'll see. Thing. But sure. I, it's interesting because... I would almost disagree with you that, you know, if, if whether or not this moves the needle on Michael, because I feel like what makes this episode strong is that I think the characterization of Michael is really well done in a way that it really has not been the previous 13 episodes. And I can't necessarily say uh, in the same way that I did with Boone last week of, OK, now that we find out their relationship off island, it totally makes sense as to why they do the things that they do, because that makes us essentially write off all the kind of cre- crappy things that Michael has done with Walt on the island, specifically uh, ignoring him to play golf is still yeah. pretty up there. But it really at least gives me a perspective on an on-island relationship. And again, comparing it back to Hearts and Minds, that's something that I really appreciated both at the time and something I really appreciate in retrospect. It's so interesting. And I know I, I talked about this with you offline, but it really sticks out to me how... Not to go back to this Batman quote of like, 
uh, you live, you know, live long enough to see yourself become the villain or you die a right, hero. Right, right. And not to say that Michael dies a hero, but it is so interesting how because the Michael and Walt stuff gets so truncated, we really, you know, uh, really sort of have to dive deep into these episodes because unlike your Jack, your Kate and your Locke flashbacks, those are more dime a dozen. We're going to see so many of them over the course of six seasons. Michael, I think, gets probably two like in the past flashbacks, this and Adrift. He's going to get three minutes, which is on island, and he's going to get meet Kevin Johnson, which is off island, but not way, way back. So when it comes to really finding out who Michael Dawson is, you really have to dig your teeth into this. Uh, and I think it's so interesting the way that they show this relationship both on and off island, considering that it's sort of limited real estate, knowing what we know about how these characters turn out. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I think, you know, it, it's funny because I think that the flashback sequences in this episode are some of the strongest we've encountered so far. I uh, I, I, I think that the, the flashback storyline in special is really special. I think it's really great. I, th- I I love how it underlines one of the great themes of this show, which is like the, the tumultuous relationship between a parent and their child and the child towards their parent and like the things that a parent does wrong that impacts a kid. And sometimes the things that the parent doesn't do wrong but it impacts the kid anyway uh and 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 how it's just so complicated and and for the most part through lost you're getting that story from the perspective of adult children <laughs> you know what i mean like you know people who've grown up uh in in the shadow of either bad parents or absentee parents uh or parents who just didn't love them the right way or whatever hard feelings they've got towards their parents you're seeing you're seeing those issues really explored in something like all the best daddies uh you know like that's that's definitely like the, the turf it's, that we title <laughs> you know that's the turf that we've cleared so far uh but one of the things that is special about the michael and walt relationship is who knows how michael was was raised uh you know by all intents and purposes the the information that i can remember us getting about where michael comes from um you know i think it's his mom uh who who ends up raising walt mm-hmm. after michael and walt come back from the island uh seems like a wonderful woman you know <laughs> it seems yeah. like seems like michael really had a decent head on his shoulders and and the the relationship that becomes so rocky between him and and Walt um, are are often like due to to circumstances that are that are beyond Michael's control. You can't even say he doesn't fight for Walt uh, enough. Certainly, the very adrift episode adrift, uh, you know, is going to have flashback scenes that would have probably fit uh, just as comfortably here as they would have, if not more so, in that episode. Yeah, to the um, to, to the point where I uh, I definitely thought the one scene which I. I know is going to absolutely make me ball uh, where Michael says goodbye to two-year-old Walt. I, for the longest time, had thought that it was in this was episode. Yeah. But no, yeah. it turns out that, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a drift, which, to your point, I think is not a very good episode no, of Lost whatsoever. No, uh, but at not. least it's going to have that tear-jerking moment in it. Yeah, so I, I I think that the flashback story that we get here is really really powerful, and I and I really do appreciate the the interplay between that flashback story and the on island story uh, that we get in this episode. I do think like to a certain degree, like is this a, re- a like a relatively forgettable episode of Lost? Absolutely, 
A hundred percent. Like when, when you think about the grand scheme of Lost and if special stands out to you as like a very specific, unique hour of Lost, I'm I'm honestly a little bit amazed by that take. Uh, like I cannot imagine the universe where special is like considered an upper echelon episode of Lost by too many people in the segment. Maybe I'm wrong. It, it, it just does not. It doesn't feel that way to me. Um, but would I would I go ahead and say that this is like a bad episode of Lost or an episode of Lost that even if it's a little forgettable, should it be forgotten wholesale? Should it be skipped over on a rewatch? No, absolutely not. There's merit here for sure. And we are going to get into that. Uh, and then we also have to talk about the, the terribly, 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 terrible CGI for the polar bear because <laughs> uh, it's really awful and it's horrible. And it definitely holds this episode back in tremendous ways yeah they're gonna i think eventually they're gonna need to do what they did with tng up uh, with star trek and remaster loss i know it's sort of existed in an hd era but at least update that you know you're out you're owned by the mouse you would think that they bring over some Got pixar that people sweet, yeah that disney coin uh I don't know. All right. Well, let's get into some series Bible entries. Uh, we could do that both for Michael and for Walt. I was thinking maybe we want to save Walt for some point down the line. But technically, he's got a flashback scene in this episode. So this is a, he's like kind of uh, quasi co-piloting this with Michael. Uh, so let's get our official series Bible entries for these characters on the board. Uh, this is what was written about Michael in the onset of Lost. Michael has always known he was an artist. But his course changed drastically when a casual relationship in his 20s resulted in a pregnancy. Determined that his child wouldn't grow up fatherless, Michael married his girlfriend, dropped out of art school, and took a quote-unquote real job. But six months after his son was born, his wife abruptly left him and took the baby with her. Although this was the perfect time for Michael to get back to his dream, the security provided by a regular paycheck kept him in the corporate world. Now, ten years later, his world is rocked again as he gains custody of Walt, a son he barely knows. I should also point out that it's actually misspelled in the series Bible. It says, gains custody of Wait. Ooh, maybe that was his original name. Yeah, Wait, a son he barely knows here on the island michael must not only learn to be a father but get back in touch with his inner creative soul in order to emerge in a new role as the group's most capable builder could it be that actually weight was supposed to be in there but it's uh accidentally capitalized where it's supposed to be like his world is rocked again it's against custody of weight a son he barely knows like they're doing they're, they're transcribing the elevator pitch of the character yes yes oh i like that i like that very much uh i just hope that uh the weight uh by the band is done as a lindelof at some point down the line uh to chronicle the the turbulent story of michael and walt um Aside from the fact that Michael and Susan obviously don't get married uh, and art school itself isn't like a huge piece of this, uh, the artist stuff is, I feel like other than that, this is fairly close to fully accurate to at least the season one Michael arc. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The, the footprints are definitely there. You know, I don't know how much he's getting in touch with his inner creative soul on the island. I would say that more so he's getting, I mean, unless you count, you know, his uh, construction projects. Yeah, but I think that they're imaginative, like he's making the aqueducts and stuff. Like, yeah, I just you know, wonder if they, I, were, I, if they were more so thinking like, oh, he sketches, you know, sun and gives the picture to Jin, you know, like that touch, the, the art school side. But I mean, as they're alluding to here, like 
there is art to be found in architecture and construction. So it's not exactly, you know, uh, I don't know they say the corporate world here, but uh, I don't know if he's necessarily giving it up necessarily. I, I think that that would have been great, by the way, uh, like a, a scene where he sketches somebody and gives the sketch to someone like as a peace offering to Jin, uh, like the way that Jin is going to allow Michael to have the watch uh, in Exodus. Uh, if Michael could have done something similar to Jin. Um, but the, the truth is, Michael's I, I think a big part of why the Michael arc is a difficult one is it's so tied up in Walt. Uh, and that's very realistic to the situation. Not only is he like, uh, you know, dramatically this new father. Uh, but he's also in this dramatic new parental role on a remote desert island filled <laughs> with strangers and smoke monsters and, and boars and bears and boars. Uh, so he's not really going to have a lot of time to like sit down and just draw people. Uh, I guess he has enough time to sit down and play golf, but he takes like a fairly severe hit to his character as a result. So I don't know like where are going to be the opportunities for him to really sit down and do that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I think that the fact that like he has this very, very clear priority uh, in the context of the show where it's such a high stakes place that you got to make sure that your kid is safe uh as as a characteristic uh of of, of this person i i feel like it would just be really hard to, to have him do that but it would that i the second you said that like have him draw a picture of sun for Jin, like that's such a beautiful deleted scene uh that you can imagine would have been uh, rendered really wonderfully yeah it'd be sammy kappa's favorite episode automatically oh yeah for sure absolutely uh here's the walt series bible entry it's considerably considerably shorter than the michael Much one like also walt. It doesn't have any caps, uh, no caps locked words, but there is one underlined word. Oh, great. Uh, wow. And, They're really changing and, up the time and, setting. And I will, I will, uh, I'll be very curious to see if you can pick out which the underlined word is. All right. You ready? Oh, yeah. All right. Here's the series Bible entry for Walt. Walt has had a nomadic existence. <laughs> Let me try that again. Walt has had a nomadic existence most of his life traveling the world with his mother on business trips deprived of the ability to establish roots or friends he consequently relates to adults better than his peers now stranded on the island with a father he doesn't really know and doesn't want to know Ooh, you say don't you mean doesn't wait to know doesn't doesn't wait to know wait that last yeah. sentence isn't a full sentence that's really yeah. weird i think they got to walt and they got tired they said right, we now stranded on the island with the father he doesn't really know and doesn't want to know and like, that's it that's, that's, that's it that's all that's it. much like walt's uh, character they i was up. just gonna say like i think very emblematic of the grander uh walt lloyd character arc <laughs> it kind of works so crazy Kind of works. Kind of works. All right. Well, let's start summarizing the episode. Let's do it with the assistance of our eight sounds. The episode begins, as you heard at the top of this podcast, we open on an eye because, of course, we open on an eye. And it's Michael. It's Michael's eye. He's calling out for Walt, Walt, Walt. Uh, and Charlie is looking for Claire, Claire, Claire. Or should I say Kate? Because I keep uh, confusing them for whatever reason. Uh, Charlie comes to Michael. And they say, where's Claire's bags? And Michael says, where's my son? And I'm like, I don't know where your son is. I'm looking for Claire's bags. And Michael says, yeah, and I'm just looking for Walt. Yeah, this, uh, is, we're, this is a very interesting episode for Charlie because we're back to comical Charlie. We're back to pre-kidnapping Charlie, which 
I mean, it's going to be a swift turn into homecoming next episode uh, once Claire comes back. But you ever seen a bit of like the the goofy Charlie who was catching fish? He's a little bit of a goober in this episode. He has a scene in this episode that we'll talk about that is going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm so excited for that. One of the underrated Charlie scenes of all time. Um, All right. So Charlie's proving to be unuseful in the search uh, for Walt. Uh, So Michael is going to ask another guy who is going to be popping along the caves here let's turn it to our first sound of the episode hey jack you see my boy when you were out there no he was at the caves yeah he took his dog for a walk told him to stay close as usual you listen to your old man when you attend right uh yeah yeah i listen maybe a little too well yo dudes got a new tourney lined up we're playing for the last of the deodorant sticks you dogs up for some golf i gotta go find my kid hey, hey if walt shows up you tell him i said stay right here until i get back you got it. Whoa! Seems to hate it, doesn't he? What? Whoa! Being a dad? No, it's just a lot of hard work. Whoa! Whoa! Nah, he hates it. <laughs> you know what I love, though? I love it when Hurley says, you dogs want to play some golf? Yeah, uh, and I wish maybe another deleted scene after Michael draws the caricature of Sun. Uh, we see the tourney for deodorant. I'm glad to see it's still going. Though as much as I love Hurley, and this is where my newfound perspective as, as a new dad comes in, Hurley, why are you so judgy? Like, that's that's a bad assumption to make. And now that I'm on the other side of the parenting line... Now I totally sympathize with those beleaguered parents uh, because, you know, we've all definitely been in that role of looking at, uh, you know, parents interacting with toddlers or obstinate children and being like, oh, man, they must really hate that. When that really isn't the case the vast majority of the time, like you love your children to death and they can also be little shits. You know, and so the fact that, you know, just because Michael is a a little frustrated and a little obsessed with finding his son doesn't mean that he hates being a father, Hurley. Come on. Though I feel like uh, maybe he's projecting a bit, maybe having his own uh, listening issues with his own father at 10. Well, I'm glad that we pulled that clip because I'm like totally team Hurley here. Oh. <laughs> I'm in, well, I'm like in the, I'm still in the stage of my life where I am not a parent uh, and Emily and I do not have children and we don't know that we are going to. That is still a question that we have not answered for ourselves. And we often do find ourselves in, in those situations uh, where we, we see either a parent or a set of parents that just seem absolutely miserable. Uh, and I found myself with, with the Hurley reaction so many times in the past and i think that like it's a it's just like a lack of understanding of the role uh or you know is 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 it that is it like uh you know incisive i don't really think so but i but i feel like at the same time there's some element of truth to it as it pertains to michael here i think that michael did not ever expect to be in this situation and i don't just mean on the island i think that like those 10 years that he was away from walt I don't think that like he ever expected he would ever be like an active dad again. Uh, And this like really railroads his life out of nowhere. I mean, it begins the end of his life, uh, the process here. Uh, And I, I think that there, it's not like a very easy, comfortable answer to, to any of those questions that the, the storyline raises other than parenting is 
obviously very complicated and hard. Very, very, very difficult. Uh, but I, I found myself with that Hurley reaction right away. Uh, so it's great to hear you have the other take because it's clearly something that you have a lot more authority in than I do. I mean, listen, I don't have that much authority. You know, I, I do have a six month old. He's not yet walking around. So I'm sure I, I will, and I've definitely had obviously my moments of frustration. Specifically, I guess where I can sort of connect with Michael here because it's going to connect across the years no matter how old your kid is, is miscommunication and a lack of communication. My son can't speak. Michael's son doesn't want or wait to speak with him. Uh, and so I, I do agree that, yes, there might be aspects that Michael obviously is not a fan of, but I just feel like the word hate is just way too far. He does not hate being a parent. You know, it's like saying like, oh, you hate your job because there are a few things you don't like about it. It's just I a, do. I do. I loathe it. I despise exactly. it. Exactly. Like there, it's, it's just a too broad of a brush to paint. And Michael knows it's his a way powerful word. Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. Uh, no, I, I think that it's it's obvious. Like, that's what I mean is like, I think that it's very hard and complicated. Uh, and I think that that's something that's not always fully appreciated with uh, with the Michael character, which is which is so interesting uh, to me when like uh, I, I think it's because like maybe to some degree he does kind of just like get lumped in with the bad parents of this show. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's he's obviously having a hard time. I mean, he is picking not that he's picking, but he's he has been thrown in to, you know, one of the most like grueling possible scenarios you can imagine for how to learn how to be a parent. Like he's got no internal support system. He's got no friends out here on the island, at least other than the ones that he's making on the island. He doesn't know anybody other than Walt and he barely knows Walt and Walt barely knows him. doesn't want to be with him. And now they're stranded on an island where they've got no real sincere hope of getting off of it. It is such a difficult situation. Uh, and I feel like this episode helps uh strengthen some of the appreciation for just how difficult it is at least for me yeah and it, um, it's it's really interesting because i mean it, it's very typical season one lost in that way where the characters on the island don't know why certain characters are behaving certain ways i mean it's weird to compare the situation to sawyer but it's sort of what we see in confidence man right of like why are you such an asshole why are you purposely getting yourself tortured and it takes Kate finding the letter and, and Sorcerer revealing his story to realize, okay, the way I act in this situation is because of something that happened to me in my life. Similarly, I'm sure if Hurley knew Michael's circumstances, there would be sympathy, much like I gained a lot of sympathy for Michael in this episode. And again, it really informs a lot of his behaviors and how, you know, season two, another reason why this Michael storyline is so extremely complicated is because... He's really one of the first characters to quote unquote break bad. Uh, you know, I think I'm so excited to eventually get to uh, the killing of Anna Lucia and Libby because that is a lost moment that genuinely shocked me to my core for yeah, several for sure. reasons. And I think that's something that unfortunately gets glossed over is that, you know, is that maybe it's because it's, it's the murder of, you know, like two B characters that are introduced in season two, but that is such an interesting moment for the Michael arc because, you know, it's him showing the extent of what he'll do for his kid to get his kid back, but it's also the thing that absolutely tears them apart. You know, you, you right. spoke about Walt ends up living with Michael's mother because Michael is so guilt-ridden by what he did that he ends up divulging it to Walt, and Walt is so overwhelmed and bitter at what his father did that he ends up essentially forswearing him and eliminating him from his life. And that, in my opinion, I know we're jumping way far ahead, but it makes, in my opinion, 
Michael's arc the most depressing one of all the Lost characters. Like, say what you want to about John Locke, but Josh, you've spoken really eloquently in the past about how Locke ends up sort of having people fight for what he believes in on his behalf. That doesn't happen with Michael. He ends up dying alone, you know, divorced of the one person who he has been fighting for mercilessly since he was a baby and absolutely miserable, even though he does end up sort of saving things in season four. It's a crazy thing that we don't necessarily think about in the big scheme of things. I remember when uh, when Michael killed Anna Lucia and Libby, you know, I was again, I was in college. Uh, so I was a college minded kid uh, watching the episode and like my defiant hot take around other people was uh, I'm team Michael on this one. Uh, mm. I, I fully I fully support what Michael did uh, from Michael's perspective. It makes all the sense in the world. Who are these people to him in the face of Walt? Uh, time has aged the take <laughs> somewhat. Uh, I have I have gone on to have a more nuanced take than outright being like, screw Anna Lucia and Libby. <laughs> uh, I've definitely uh, the, the take has matured, but I've I have always um, felt empathy uh, for Michael's choice and have felt empathy for Michael as a character uh, overall, and I don't think that he's somebody who should be outright demonized. Uh, but I've also felt uh, I've also grown more empathy for the process of creating a project as vast as Lost mm. and how difficult it is to satisfyingly, uh, uh, you know, service all of the masters that need to be served in the landing of this show. Um, and as a result, some story arcs get dropped, uh, you know, rather delicately uh, and, and just like gently tucked away and put to bed in a beautiful Beautiful resting manner and others just get like dropped on the ground and shatter into a million pieces uh and my goal is closer to uh to, to that end of the spectrum we'll talk about all the reasons why as we go in um all right so michael he goes into the into the jungle he's still screaming for wall 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 uh and we go to the flashback first flashback of the episode and michael is with susan uh, and michael and susan they're going crib shopping Everybody loves Susan. Susan suddenly, Susan. Oh my goodness! I uh, another reason why I was excited to revisit this episode is again like the Michael and Walt stuff because it doesn't encapsulate the entire series. Sort of gets uh, disregarded or or unremembered, and I have gained new reviling emotions towards <laughs> a couple of these characters. And spoiler yeah. alert: Susan is one. The other one might go to uh, young Michael's choice of hat because. I love, no, I love it. I just I love, love this idea of, like, how can we make Michael Emerson, or how can, not Michael Emerson, he's coming down the line. How can we make Harold Perrineau look 10 years younger, right. put a beanie on him? No, it's great. He looks great. He, he really does look a lot younger. Right? Take, like, with, like, I think with the shaved the, face. Yeah, I was going to say, the, 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 we don't see the goatee until the very final flashback before he goes to Australia. And honestly, that does make a difference. It does. It totally does. But uh, here he is with Susan. He and Susan, they're going crib shopping, and then they start talking about how Michael wants to name him Walt. What's the name him after his father, Walt? So the fact that he wants to name Walt after his dad, Walt, like, strikes me as like they probably had a pretty good relationship, Michael so, and Walt Dawson. Here's my first theory, and this is going to be off the wall, Josh. I'm very excited to get your thoughts on this because it goes back to Michael's parents. Like you said, we, we know a bit about Walt's mother. You know, he's the one who in Exodus sort of freaks out on the phone in the airport calling her and saying like, hey, I don't know if I can do this. Can you take him? Very bad, you know, uh, job considering that Walt is listening nearby. But we don't know anything about Michael's father except for the fact that Michael wants to name him after his father. Here is my theory. What my theory presupposes 
is that Michael never knew his father. <laughs> Because, you know, all the best daddies, it it just connects back. And it also makes sense in that one of the reasons maybe why Michael's having such a tough time parenting is he has nothing to base it off of. You know, if he grew up in a fatherless household, he can't necessarily say, okay, I'll just raise Walt the way my dad raised me when I was 10. Because he doesn't have that situation, which puts him even more, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of of a greenhorn. So my theory here, my little headcanon, is that Michael's father and mother both met and got, you know, uh, congenial when they were working together in one of the Disney parks in the 70s, whether it was Disneyland, Disney World, etc. After getting congenial, Michael's mother got pregnant. Michael's father realized that that's not something he wanted to do at this moment. He pulls a Thomas. He leaves the state. Michael's mother is left, you know, without her partner as she raises this child. She raises the child alone, but not really alone, because she still continues to work at Disney, which means that young Michael Dawson spends a lot of time in the Disney parks as well. You know, the babysitters are hard to come by, so he sort of ends up tagging along with mom to work and hanging around the park. As Michael becomes more uh, acquainted with the Disney parks, that's when he begins to fall in love with this concept of animation. And that's when he decides to, you know, maybe pursue art. He also has a little bit of interest in construction, you know, watching the roller coasters and the way that all these different types of buildings and architectural styles that are used in the parks so when it comes to michael having his own son he decides to name him after his father but not his biological father he wants to name it after the father who built this magic kingdom that made michael the person he is today with the interests he has today and he decides to name him walt after walt disney Is, is this is this real? <laughs> this is my theory. <laughs> Your theory is that Walt is named after Walt Disney, <laughs> and you mean it? I mean, is it a is it a joke or is it real? I don't I, know. I mean, I just sort of like made the connection because I mean, it's also interesting as from an ABC show. You're looking at like Walt. Hey, is named at you know Walt. There's a guy named Walt affiliated with ABC who is responsible for. Also has a link with animals. Also, you know, was uh, was denoted as special. You know, held a, a big place. Uh, worked a lot with children. Sort of had a childlike uh, imagination. There's also a guy named Michael. Uh, there's certainly a Michael affiliated with the Disney Corporation who's known for making bad decisions and uh, sometimes being a little personally brusque and being a not-so-well-regarded character. And so it just made me think, like, I don't know, the thing that really made it connect for me is, like, maybe Michael was inspired by Walt Disney to, like, start wow. drawing things, you know? I-, I feel like this theory might have legs before it gets run over by a car by the by our listeners. We're going to come to find out in the Lost RPG podcasts that uh, Billy Wallace is actually uh, named after Steamboat Willie and that his uh, his origin traces back to Disney as well. Yeah, I think everything comes back to Disney. It's just it's one big uh, it's one big subliminal corporate sponsorship that we did not (laughs) realize. Mike, I have to admit that uh, when you started on your theory, I thought you were going to say that Walt 
was secretly Michael's father. So Walt is his own grandfather and grandson. Ooh, uh, and I Walt thought goes that back you were going to like time in the DeLorean. Yeah, I thought that it was going to be like some uh, some major time travel wonkiness that we know that Lost gets into. And I was very braced for uh, the potential of that take. I got to be honest, I did not imagine the the tie in to Disney. But Disney's <laughs> everywhere yeah. these days. You know, Disney owns everything. So why shouldn't Disney own the Michael and Walt origins? <laughs> story exactly that's how i personally feel uh so i mean look like you said we really don't know a lot about michael dawson because we 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 find out very little of his story over the course of loss i'm just trying to fill in those blanks and those are big blanks that's a big blank big blank um all right well we will want to get people's feedback on that of course do you believe that walt was named after walt disney please write in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com uh make sure to direct to the attention of one michael bloom <laughs> you will most directly field your takes on the matter um but i mean i guess like uh it's it's obviously the first name is much more important to michael than the last one uh yep. says all right we can go with walt uh, and susan says like we can go with walt if it's walt lloyd i want i want uh i want him to have my last name uh and she says you want me to agree to, to walter or not and so it seems like he agrees to Walter, uh, but he doesn't get to keep the family name. So it's that first name that matters so much more to Michael. And should we have taken this, or should Michael have taken this actually more so, as a sign that maybe things wouldn't work out between him and Susan? Because doesn't Michael say something along the line of like, is that why you won't marry me because you don't want my last name? Which, look, uh, I'm talking with somebody who does have a wife who has a different last name. So it's definitely, that's not the reason why I don't think Susan wants to marry you, Michael. Totally. Absolutely not. I don't think that's the reason at all. Um, yeah, but I, I think that it says a lot about Michael's appreciation for his father, whether it's his father figure, <laughs> as you were supposing, or his actual dad, uh, that, the, that the name Walt matters to him so, so much uh, that he is, uh, he is willing to go in that direction. Uh, let's get back, get back to the island. Uh, on the island, Walt is he's, he's doing knife throwing with Locke and Boone. He says he's no good. Boone's hanging out. He's got this terrible T-shirt he's wearing. It's got, like, cards on it. Yeah, it's got, like, four aces, which I guess makes sense. I mean, Boone is dealt a bad hand very soon, so he might as well have a good one right now. Ooh, I like that. Uh, and Locke is telling Walt how to how to do this correctly. He says, uh, you, you know the, the thing that you see with your mind's eye? He's like, oh, yeah, I totally know all about the mind's eye. Uh, he says, all right, so visualize the path. See it. And so Walt does it, he sees it, he visualizes it, and he aces uh, the, the toss. He saw it in his mind like it was real. And what he didn't account for was Michael seeing it as well, because Michael is mad. He shows up, he tells Walt to leave, he sends Walt back to camp with Vincent, uh, and Michael and Locke get into a little bit of a kerfluffle. Uh, Locke tells him that, uh, that, that Michael, uh, well, before they even really talk, uh, Michael is saying like he would have called the police back in the real world, and Boone starts to intercede because things are getting heated, and he tackles Michael and holds a knife at him. And then Michael punches Boone and gets the upper hand on Boone. And I got to say, I'm just speculating here. I don't think that there are enough LVP points to hang out, uh, to hand out in this episode that Boone's going to get slinged uh, by yeah, one. Yeah, I was, But he's very close. Yeah, Razor's I, edge. Were it not, honestly, for Susan and Brian, I would definitely give one to Boone. Not, if not here, definitely in the scene with Shannon, which we're going to get into. Boone absolutely crosses a line. They're almost undoing the goodwill he earned from me in the previous episode. 
it's so interesting though because here Michael and and Boone are going at each other, and they're both sort of like uh, VOBs. They're victims of Brian's. It's so interesting that yeah. they both sort of got, uh, you know, got their lives thrown upside down by these guys, and here they are, I guess, taking out their aggression on each other through their mutual Brian. Uh, yeah, I, just a, just a couple of Brian's ruining everybody's lives. All the worst Brian. Yeah, well, speaking of Boone, uh, he did actually have a fun little Keanu Reeves esque moment where when Wall throws the knife, it, it rack focuses back to Boone, who just goes, "Whoa, whoa, he knows kung fu." <laughs> Maybe he does, though. Maybe that's again part of his powers, which we're not entirely sure of. I mean, I'm sure that if Walt wanted to learn kung fu, he would be a master in five minutes. Yeah, he would be uh, uh, like that one character from the heroes reboot that like could learn to do anything by watching a youtube video of it oh god i can't believe that <laughs> i forgot all about that heroes reborn was a thing there should not be a loss too if it's going to be of the quality of heroes reborn. yeah no keep zachary levi away from loss thank you very much oh please please and thanks uh without without disrespecting the chuck community i am not a part of that community i know that many of you love the chuck uh but he was really terrible on heroes uh but Locke is going to tell michael look we're not back home as long as we're here on the island i feel like walt should be allowed to realize his potential and michael says stay away from my son and me and that's the credits it's the first act uh of this episode of lost and you know i love me some john Locke, and i think that we get some good john Locke moments in this episode some great moments in fact uh, but i feel like him like telling michael like what walt should be allowed to do and not allowed to do it's probably not a terribly appropriate conversation to have with this child's father um yeah uh i mean Locke, ironically enough is telling somebody what they can or can't do it, it's so interesting because I mean, the the angle that Locke's coming from is, you know, he really is saying, hey, this kid has potential. You should really be acknowledging it. And you have to wonder, again, if we're going back to all the best daddies, how much Locke's own father issues play into this. You know, the fact that we're going to find out actually uh, very soon, I think, in Deus Ex Machina, how much his mother regards him as special. And, you know, how even though he had his own father issues, the fact that he was given that attention, attention sort of helped him become the person that he is today. And he feels like Michael isn't doing that. I also like, speaking of other callbacks, the fact that Michael essentially gives Locke the same threat he gave to Jin at the end of House of the Rising Sun of stay away from me and my son. It makes sense from Michael's perspective. It worked once. Might as well work twice. <laughs> It'll work twice. It'll work twice. Um, all right. Let's go back off the island. The flashback story is continuing, and it's very heartbreaking. Uh, oh. Michael's playing with a really young Walt, um, and Walt seems really, really happy playing with his dad. And Michael's saying, uh, this isn't a discussion. You can't leave me behind. We're coming to learn that Susan is leaving. She's got this very big opportunity. Uh, apparently, they've discussed taking some time apart. She, uh, he thought she was kidding but apparently she's serious she's got a really great job offer um where she can uh where she can go she's already taken this job it's not even a discussion uh, apparently michael has been out of work for a while she's like look i'll be able to provide for him and he's uh he's very upset he's saying there's laws against this kind of thing and then susan says yeah well we're not married i'm his mother i'm steadily employed who do you think the court's going to side with? Uh, and she says, it's not like this is goodbye forever. Uh, but as far as her future actions indicate, uh, it really is. It, it almost is. It almost yeah. is. And baby Walt, by the way, is so cute. Oh, my goodness. This baby is so cute. And this is like the most relatable part of the episode for me, because I know I, I'm assuming that, you know, Walt's probably a little I think he visits Michael in a drift when he's two. 
So maybe this is a little bit before that, but like, I mean, it, it's not too dissimilar from the age of my son. And, you know, I love my son with every ounce of my heart. And I, I'm so happy and grateful that I get to wake up every morning and like see his smiling face. And for me, watching this scene and like watching him play on the floor with his son and just seeing the absolute love he has for Walt, it makes me project and it makes me put myself in his shoes. And if somebody robbed me of that opportunity to get to wake up every morning and start the day by by seeing you know my son's face smiling back at me like it would absolutely end me it would break me to no end and this is where i really start gaining sympathy for michael and just have a deriding i'll say hate hell hurley did (laughs) it's a strong word it's a strong strong word but i'm gonna say it like again we don't know much about susan and michael's relationship but like what is it about it that made her feel, A, she had to take him, you know, away from his father, and B, not let him see him, except for that one moment we spoke about in a drift. That's the thing. It's not goodbye forever, but she's withholding her son from Michael because the only evidence, the only thing we see is that he says, okay, I've been out of work for a few months. But what Susan, the way she's behaving, it's like Michael's been abusive, with her son. It's like she's saying, like, you should not see him because you hurt him. But he's doing the exact opposite. If anything, he cares less about her and cares more about him. The fact that she is keeping him at more than arm's length, the one thing that Michael wants to see, the one thing that's even connecting him in this world, that is beyond inexcusable to me. I'm sorry, this is getting me riled up, but this, like, this was really got, this really got my fuse lit with Susan in particular is, the fact that she does this with no discernible reason whatsoever. I think, you know, a lot of what you're talking about with Michael's feelings toward Walt uh, really come across in the next scene. And and I, I, I'm really glad we pulled the sound for this as well. We'll, we'll throw it to sound two in a second. But it's going to be it's Michael. He's he's it's he's on the island. It's nighttime. Walt's asleep. Michael is standing over or sitting over Walt. He's like watching over Walt and son who, you know, Michael's one of the few people who knows her secret. She comes to Michael to, to talk to him and check in with him. And in this scene, Michael really indicates a lot of those feelings that you're talking about, I think, with Walt. So let's take a listen. Are you all right? No, I'm okay. Thanks. Just don't know how to talk to him. How to get him to, you know, understand I'm on his side. Locke says I should stop treating him like a child. I missed his whole childhood, so... just can't happen. What? You can't grow up here. You can't grow up in this place. I just love that. Yeah. I, I really do, too, because, I mean, what Michael's indicating and what's going to really, uh, you know, empower him to end up building the raft here, this is when we get the start of the raft storyline that's going to work, obviously, through the end of the season, is that he has a very different situation than other people on the island. Even people like Boone and Shannon, who obviously have a pre-existing relationship coming into it, in that everyone else is an adult, you know, from a, from a legal perspective. You know, everyone else is over 18 they have some form of independence, but Walt is a child, you know, and I feel like the way that maybe some 
people regard, you know, I guess the the logic of living on the island. Uh, it has sort of an um, adult mature mind frame that like. I don't think they would want to have wanted to spend their childhood on some sort of crazy, you know, as Shannon says, crap hole island. And I don't think they really acknowledge that except for Michael. And I think it's a really good point. And like you said, I, I love that line he says to son about, you know, how Locke says to not treat him like a child, but I missed his entire childhood. And that both explains a, the way he's acting towards Walt and B like the fact that he wants to capture that he wants to make up for 10 years missed time, but it's such a tricky balancing act to do that while at the same time acknowledging where he is in his life. And I will also say, uh, we also, you know, it's, it's tough. There were definitely some people on the short list for MVP points as well, but I would give an honorary one to son who it's still a little risky that, you know, she's sneaking around the caves, acknowledge, uh, you know, showing Michael, uh, her secret that she learns English. She let Kate know, but you know, if someone caught her talking with Michael, there would be a lot of questions behind that. But I feel I think so. But I feel yeah. like she she feels that, uh, you know, he's in a, enough emotional turmoil that she wants to reach out to him in this moment. Yeah. No surprise that Sun Quan is just a fantastic human being. Uh, so, uh, yeah, de- definitely agreed with all of that. Let's talk about the formation of the raft and the raft storyline. Uh, it begins with Saeed is having a conversation with Jack and Shannon. Uh, Shannon's been helping Saeed, obviously, with translating the French woman's maps. Uh, they're showing uh, a location on the island, not of the island, is Saeed's big Eureka. Uh, but they're not. There's some question of like, are they even sure that this is a map of the island? Also, I have a question of the thing that like is like triangulated looks like an island off of the coast of the island. Did I was I alone in that, or did you feel that way as well, Mike? Or I guess the question is like, could that be more like an idea of the Bermuda Triangle around the island, which sort of goes back to this idea of like they can't find the island because it's constantly moving. Right. So hard hard to say. I mean, obviously, Hydra Island is an island off the coast of the island, uh, so it wouldn't be completely unprecedented. Um, but either way, uh, Michael shows up. He's like, guys, why are we worried about like the geography of the island? Why are we talking about power sources? We can't be playing golf. We can't be making water, water filtration systems, making home sweet home here. We got to leave. Uh, and everyone's like, we all want to go. We got Walter, Walter filtration uh, is I don't think anyone wants to get off of here as more uh, as much as I do. Uh, and he says uh, we could build a raft. Uh, we need some optimism here. There's nobody coming. Here's what we've got. We've got the seats from the fuselage. We've got an axe. We've got bamboo. Uh, and Sai says, that's nice. That's great. But the odds of finding a shipping lane are low and then shannon has a line she goes yeah and i get seasick and it's kind of like ah, shannon then don't go on the mission uh but michael says good luck to you guys because uh, i'm i'm building a raft i'm getting out of here me and my son are leaving god bless i mean i wouldn't say this scene is outright meta but i think it is interesting that we sort of bring up this raft storyline where it is in the season because I mean, I feel like after the solitary exposition expedition of it all with Saeed, and obviously the kidnapping of Claire was like a big, uh, you know, <laughs> big event that I think a lot of people became understandably focused on. They haven't really diverted their efforts back to rescue. Uh, and maybe it's because, again, Saeed running into Rousseau might have uh, unfortunately dashed their hopes about this idea of getting off the island considering how she's been there for 16 years but it feels like the first time in a while josh that they are mentioning this idea of of being rescued and, and getting off the island maybe it's just because there's been so much stuff that's gone on 
on the island, but it kind of feels good for someone to acknowledge the survivalist impact and the situation they're in. Mike, there's so much going on the island that they've all forgotten about Claire, basically, except for Charlie, who, which we'll get into <laughs> in a little while. But I mean, yeah, I, I think so. I think like, you know, they've been very busy. They've had a lot going on uh, and, and too much going on to really do too much to, to save themselves from their current situation. Uh, so Michael is going to be the guy who's going to launch the raft idea at the very least. Uh, and that's going to launch a lot of the, the momentum of the rest of the season as well. Uh, so so great. Great to have that starting in this episode. Uh, meanwhile, Walt is back at the caves. He's looking uh, looking at the comic book, uh, Linterna Verde Flash, uh, which is the Green Lantern in Flash. Uh, it's, uh, I, I have not read this comic book. Uh, I probably should just for completions sake. You'll, you'll finish uh, it after Watership is- Down. So I'll finish it in about a decade. Um, I, I will so, say one quick thing about this, because we'll see the polar bear. And we saw a little bit of this in pilot part two. But what I thought was interesting was the other picture besides the polar bear that I saw was like some sort of castle within like some sort of bigger dome. And it reminds me a bit of uh, in the season two finale when we saw Desmond come back on the boat and be like, oh, the island's like a snow globe. Like, that's what that reminds me of. So it's, it's sort of like an interesting comparison that I don't know if... Uh, was intentional or not yeah i think that you know anything that kind of like baits people into thinking uh you know what could this place be uh what what could what could be here uh certainly it's something that i think like the audience ends up projecting based on reading the comic and seeing that kind of imagery uh that it helps fuel those theories of like oh it's a snow globe it's an environmentally controlled biodome stephen baldwin Polly shore they're here uh that is obviously not where this goes uh michael shows up he comes to to walt uh, and he wants walt's help uh he wants the he wants the assistance of his of his son for this project but first he stops and admires the fact that walt is reading a comic book even though it's a comic book in spanish that he doesn't uh know how to 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 read spanish he does like the art and michael uh is trying to bond with walt in this moment say hey well i I used to chase comics. That used to be something I I did. You want to talk about that? Well, it's like, yeah, uh, not really, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel for Michael here. Because, again, like, I don't know how much Walt means to be ignoring him in this moment. I know I am certainly someone who has trouble multitasking. And my wife can attest to the fact that I mean her no ill will when sometimes I end up ignoring her questions just because I'm concentrating on something else in the moment. So maybe this is something going on here, but I mean, my heart does go out to Michael here where he is legitimately trying to connect with his son and, and, you know, reveal a bit of his history since he doesn't know him. And Walt just sort of unintentionally gives him the cold shoulder. So Michael gives his comic book, the hot shoulder as it were, by throwing it into the fire. Well, not quite yet. Not he's going to, it's going to be horrible, uh, but not as horrible as what happens in the past. Michael's in New York. He's on a phone. Uh, Susan is breaking up with him. Uh, she says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm moving to Amsterdam. Uh, move, I'm dating Brian, Brian Porter. And he's like, oh, the guy who hired you. Ooh, this is, this is boiling my blood. Uh, Michael's very upset. Uh, and he says, I'm coming to Amsterdam. And I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for Walt, he says. Uh, and then he hangs up the phone. He angrily crosses the street 
and immediately gets hit by a vehicle. Uh, and this was, uh, I, I, I don't know if this was like an intentional Oz Easter egg that we were going to get scenes of Harold Perrineau in a wheelchair, but it's certainly how I read it at the time. Mm. Uh, and I thought that it was wonderful. Uh, I was obviously very sad for him uh, that he got hit by a car, but obviously like the way that it kind of like bonds him almost in a way that they'll never be able to talk about uh, between him and John Locke, yes. that these two are not as un, you know dissimilar as maybe they they think that they are that they uh obviously Locke didn't get um paralyzed by being hit by a car but he does get hit by a car at one point uh but the two of them having spent time meaningful amounts of time in wheelchairs uh, i do think is very interesting but i also think that the oz piece of it is uh, is compelling as well that's the first thing that i thought of too was was obviously the lock connection that you know walt's two fatherly figures on the island both sort of i guess maybe that's also the perspective from which they're speaking is like they're both used to being uh, a bit subjugated, you know, taking a bit of a subservient position. And there is a bit of a humiliation that can come sometimes with, like, having to have someone push you around, especially when you are someone like Locke in particular who really values their independence. But, I mean, if my blood was not boiling enough for Susan in the previous flashback, it was at an all-time high here. And it's going to increase even more somehow in the next flashback. Because, look, it's one thing to take an opportunity and take your son with him, but, like... Why did he not let Walt speak with Michael? Like, yes, he's two years old, but people are still able to talk to their children. It's not like, oh, he he won't remember his father, so I'm not going to give him the phone. Michael needs this. That's why he's talking with her. That's the one thing he needs right now is to hear his son's voice. And you're going to deprive him of that for what? For no reason? And then to follow it up and being like, oh, by the way, I'm sleeping with my boss and you're never going to see your son again. It's just every decision that she makes here is absolutely terrible. And it makes me really wonder, like, did Michael do something to her? Or is she just this callous and unthinking of a person that she would just blatantly disregard the feelings of a person with whom she had a child with? I think even people who have pretty nasty divorces, Josh, are still able to, like, have the child talk with the other parent. Again, barring any really abusive circumstances, what Susan does here is just completely spiteful and really drives her down, you know, my S list. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Um, We'll get into it in deeper detail very, very soon. Uh, Meanwhile, back on the island, Charlie, he's going through Claire's bags. Here's Kate. Actually, Kate, uh, she she brought the bags there uh, and she's saying, what are you looking for? And Charlie says, it's Claire's diary. She kept a diary in her side pocket and someone's taken it. Uh, we will we will check in on that in just a moment. First, we check in with Walt, who is with Michael. Uh, he's telling him what to sort out for the construction of the raft. There's just like a ton of bamboo. It's a it's a real disaster. And I really feel for Walt uh, in this moment, because I think if I was in his shoes and like somebody was telling me, all right, we're building a raft. This is what we're going to do. And I was just looking at a big pile of stuff like that. I would be really freaked out and I would have no idea what to do. Even now as a mid thirties adult, <laughs> uh, anytime that like any kind of construction type of project is to be undertaken in the home uh i am not the most reliable person in these circumstances uh so when walt says am i being punished uh like i feel that deeply <laughs> then it's like one of the most resonant lines of lost so far <laughs> is is looking at like a, a big pile of stuff to build and be like um, are, are you mad at me? Like, why do I have to do this? This is when Josh feels the most seen. Uh, and actually, I believe in the uh, fun <laughs> yeah. fact in the widescreen version of this, you see Jin in the background hear this line and be like, huh, 
that's an interesting idea. Let me percolate on that for some time before I talk to my wife tearfully in the season finale. About being punished. Yes, exactly. But no, Michael says it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. We're taking control of our destiny. And Walt says, feels like punishment. Yeah, I mean, look, this is also like where Walt is 10 comes in, where maybe this is Michael's idea of quote-unquote treating him like an adult, treating him like a contemporary. But to your point, I feel like age doesn't necessarily matter here as much as interest. All right, well, it feels like punishment. Uh, how about some some punishment in uh, in the Charlie storyline? This Charlie and Kate, a very short detective story for the two of them this week. The case of the missing diary uh, gets resolved really, really swiftly uh, in this scene as Kate and Charlie are going to go to the beach they're going to go knocking on Sawyer's door, suspecting he may be involved in this foul Surprise, play. surprise. Come and knock on Sawyer's door and he'll be waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, sorry. So let's, let's throw it to sound number three for the rest of this scene. Sawyer. Hey, Sawyer. You know, I could just go inside. Trick or treat. But what are you two selling today? West Class Diary. Someone took it from her bag. Oh, I get it. Something goes missing, and right away you figure it's gotta be me that took it. Do you have the diary or not? You mean this one? Give it to me. No, I'm not sure that's the best idea. Maybe Missy Claire. I want you reading it. I wasn't gonna read it. You're not curious what she wrote about you? You bastard. Did you read it? Good literature's kinda scarce around here. You read it. Just give it to us. Dear diary. I'm getting really freaked out by that has-been pop star. I think he's stalking me. Sawyer. Diary, the little limey runt just won't let up. Ow! You hit like a punch. Oh, yeah? All right, enough. You didn't really read it, did you? I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I love the comparison between just pure sounds between Charlie hitting Sawyer and Sawyer walloping Charlie yeah. in response. I guess that's what a Ponce hits like. Uh, hits like a jackhammer. Uh, and yeah, but, you know, good on Charlie. He takes the hit with, uh, with, with a plum, a sugar plum. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> like, hmm, this feels very familiar. Mm, tasty. Maybe I'll get beat up several more times in the series yeah. after this. I, I when Sawyer referenced trick or treating, I saw Count Jackula <laughs> start to rise out of his coffin, so I had to sit on it for a oh, second. I apologize. No, no, all good. Well, did Sawyer say Missy Claire, or did he call her? Say, um, did he call her Miss, Miss Missy Claire? Miss E Claire, like a pastry. Like a, I want to go with the latter just yeah. so we can be added to the official nickname counter, yeah. that his nickname for Claire is Miss Eclair. Yeah, Miss Eclair and Bonafi Pie. I'm shipping it. Uh, shout out to Trevor Roberts, who I know made a Bonafi Pie. Oh, uh, uh, looks so it good. It looks good. I mean, good. Sawyer is an asshole, here, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, for all the effort that Hurley made about, like, hey, dude, earn the points, like, Sawyer is completely going back into, like, black market, I know something you don't know, even though I don't know it, taunting with poor Charlie. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, it's... A, it's you know it's roguish it's kind of funny it's it's ultimately mostly pretty harmless he gets punched mm -hmm. into knife wound so he gets his uh him smashing charlie in the face isn't so cool uh but listen sawyer's very lucky that he is uh punching charlie in the face in an episode where we've got bones to pick with with other corners of the lost exactly. universe he's gonna he, do he, do he dodged a bullet <laughs> even though he won't he won't on another raft uh down the line i will also say it's interesting because you think again this is revisiting the same beat we've seen of sawyer but i feel like uh kate acknowledging like flat out calling him out for not having read the diary feels like character progression 
from the incident with the inhaler and all that other stuff. You know, like, even though it feels like we're going back to black market Sawyer, Sawyer Kate sees through the con. Yeah. She knows who, who he is. So it feels like a bit of progression on there and that she's like, okay, I know the act that you're pulling. You really are. You punch like a ponce, but I can see right through that Ponzi scheme. All right. So uh, back uh, at the at the construction site, uh, Walt is still helping his dad. Uh, Boone and Locke are like walking somewhere on the outskirts. They're heading towards the caves. Walt wants to go back to the caves and get some water. Obviously, what he really wants to do is hang out with Mr. Locke. Uh, and as he's walking away, uh, Michael says, can you bring me some some water, please? Please and thank you. Let's work on that. Um, meanwhile, back at the caves, Shannon's going to approach Boone. Says, Boone, you've been acting really weird lately. It's like uh, it's like you saw a strange vision of me getting torn apart by a smoke monster and you haven't wanted to talk to me ever since. Exactly. And Boone responds by saying... Shannon, you've been a functioning bulimic since junior high. I thought you'd be excited about dropping a size or two, which I wrote in my notes in all caps. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Boom! Well, listen, I know he held a knife, uh, you know, uh, he punched Michael before him, but that is a low blow boon to just be like shan's like hey i'm legitimately concerned you haven't been talking to me and also much like was pointed out last episode you keep hunting for boar and you're not bringing back and then boon hits back by being like hey you used to have an eating disorder uh so don't so it, you know leave me alone just it's for all the stuff about really trying to come across as inconspicuous once again second episode in a row they are failing to do so yeah man uh, and Boone, just a bad look. Uh, and again, just lucky that there's just bigger fish to fry in this episode. Otherwise, Boone would, would have definitely, I think, walked away with some damage. Yep. Uh, but he's going to be okay. But she wants his help. He's not really going to help. It's, it's awkward. Uh, meanwhile, Walt is going to come to lock. And it ain't going to go well. Because Michael's going to catch wind of it. Your father doesn't want us spending time together. He's not the boss of me. But he's your father. And he cares about you, and you need to show him respect. I'm serious, Walt. You're not to come to me anymore. Damn it! What is wrong with you? I was just coming to I see... I told you to stay away from my son. He didn't. I was just well, giving... I don't want to hear from you. I was just giving him this pencil to give to you. I thought you could use it. Consider it a, a peace offering. I catch you with my son again. I'll kill you. You're a jerk. <laughs> I I totally love Locke here and like yeah. he really does the right thing in telling Walt like look I I think it's the wrong thing to do but we have to go through with this but I will say worst cover story ever I was just giving him this pencil to give with you and Josh it's not even a pencil it's a pen he can't come up with a lie on the fly well what if it's like one of those pens that looks or a pencil that looks like a pen or it's like, but that's also, it's, even if it's the right writing, right. it's so lame of like, oh, uh, no, why was... Well, we don't know. We don't pencil. know if it wasn't going to end with him being like, now bring this pencil to your father as a peace offering and tell him that I told you to stay away from me forever. 
Well, he knows that if Walt had a pencil, he'd just throw it at a tree. Listen, you know me. I'm going to defend John Locke every opportunity I can get. Uh, so certainly I'm, I'm incentivized to, to believe him here. Uh, and I'm especially incentivized to, to feel some sympathy for John Locke. Because Michael comes up to Locke and says, if I see you with my son again, I will kill you. Again, yeah, talking about strong language. I'll kill you. I'll take your life. And I, I, I feel like Locke's inner monologue was like, I'd like to see you try, dude. No, they're like, I feel like Locke's inner monologue's like, ow. I mean, I don't think he'd actually do it, but that really hurts my feelings. I made the dog whistle. I brought Vincent back. I, fit a, I played backgammon with his son. I get that he doesn't like me, but he doesn't like me so much that he would kill me. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. Poor Locke. I, I mean, he's again, he's used to... Uh, fatherly figures inflicting bodily harm on him or threatening to do so you so you can imagine how much this echoes in Locke's head and it again really uh emboldens the view of this character that like even in spite of all that it's allowed him to have this real uh stony take on everything where like it could make him emotionally flinch and really lash out but in the moment he's just like i understand I know this is what you want, so it's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, even if he was doing a little bit of locksplaining earlier with Michael, he's really deferred to Michael in these moments. And, you know, that, that's something to be admired here. I think Michael is obviously running real hot right now. And, like, he, mm -hmm. he, he, he's always been suspicious of Locke. He's suspicious of a guy who's a stranger who's taking a shine to his son, who he doesn't know very well. They're on this mysterious island. He's just come up with the idea of we're going we're gonna to raft our way out of this place. He's just got a lot going on. Uh, and I understand him him coming to, to Locke with some heat behind him, but I'll kill you. Yikes. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, and uh, I edited that sound clip a little bit. There's a much longer pause between I'll kill you and then Walt saying, you're a jerk. Uh, and you're <laughs> a jerk leads us into a much bigger fight between Michael and Walt, but I felt like it was very important to just include that line. You're a jerk, because what a jerky thing to say. I'll kill you. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, I wouldn't even say it's a jerk. I'd say it's like straight up psycho. It's scary. Yeah, it's very, especially again, if your father is the one who's threatening to kill essentially your other dad, like Walt's position is not. I would be afraid. Yeah. Here. yeah, for sure. Yeah, but then, but that is also like, again, if you're talking about Michael being heated, this lights another fuse that leads to Michael turning his fury onto Walt. Yeah, because uh, this is when Walt goes like, where were you when I was growing up? You never cared about me. You don't care about me. You're not my father. And uh, Michael is obviously very upset, upset about that because we know much better than this. We know that he cares deeply for Walt. But he says, you want to punish me? You can hate me, but you will listen to me. And he grabs the comic book from Walt. And he throws it in the fire. And Walt's eyes dart to the burning polar bear in the fire. Uh, as Michael tells Walt to get in the corner. Um, it's, in, it's interesting because uh, you say, you know, you're going to punish me. But I believe the full line is, you're going to punish me for something I can't change. Which I feel like is a really interesting thematic line, right? This idea of like, especially when we get into the whole idea of the incident of it all with the literal time travel of like, can you change mistakes in the past to inform a better future? And what Michael's sort of uh, point of view is here is like, whatever happened, happened. Uh, and I can't change that, but we have to move forward from this. Whereas Walt seems to be someone who's really fixated on the past. Michael is dying 
to move forward at this point. And the fact that Walt acknowledged that, I think, really feels like the last straw to him. Yeah. So he sends him into a corner. We go back into the past. We're at the hospital with Michael. Uh, he's in his wheelchair. He's, he's drawing people that he sees. There's some person who's laid up in the hospital. Uh, and a nurse comes over uh, and admires his art. Uh, he says, my son's turning two next week, and I just don't know what to write. She says, how about a joke? What's black, white, and red all over? It's a penguin with a sunburn. Michael goes, that's dumb. <laughs> Which I really always enjoyed the line delivery of. Uh, but she says, listen, I'm a mother of four. He's going to get a big kick out of it. Um, guess who's not going to get a kick out of it? The guy who can't uh, kick anything because he's laid up in the hospital. Uh, yeah, I, I was confused about this because did Susan say she's like, oh, you didn't tell me this for two months. Was Michael in the hospital for two months with a broken leg? I mean, I think that like whatever happened to him seems like it was fairly significant. Seems like work has been hard for him. Uh, he doesn't have much to cover the medical bills. Uh, so, yeah, maybe like just recovery is going even slower than it would if he was able to to pay for better physical therapy um either way i mean he got wrecked by the car so the yes yeah, true so the fact that he's been laid up for a while uh, but here's susan she says i wish he'd called walt's not here left him at home hey let's go for a stroll around the hospital by the way totally gonna cover your medical expenses just one thing about that i'm marrying brian we're moving to italy He's in charge of the firm's Rome office. Michael says, sounds like Brian's on a roll. Uh, and she says, yeah, he is. Also, he's going to adopt Walt, uh, which means you're not going to be his dad anymore legally. How about that, Michael? Why is Michael Bloom is so upset. Mike Bloom, Mike Bloom triggered. <laughs> I really am because, like, again, what has wow. he done to show her, uh, like, oh, I'm, I like, I am undeserving of a chance to? Because again, there's, it's one thing to take the child out of the country. It's another thing to say, hey, uh, you can't speak to him on the phone because he's too young. But this is the final straw. <laughs> this is her saying, like, you're never going to see this child again. And for what reason, Josh? Literally, what reason have we been given as for her to say Michael needs to never see this son again? Because he got hit by a car? I have a theory. I have a theory. Uh, Okay, please, please go. My my theory is Susan has always resented Michael for convincing her to name Walt after Walt Disney (laughs) when she herself is a Looney Tunes gal, even Mm. an Animaniac. Uh, as it were. Uh, big fan of what's inside the Warner Brothers vault. Uh, not exactly ecstatic about the Disney Plus launch this week. More of an HBO Max kind of fan. Uh, were she alive to see the launch of these two streaming services? So that's my theory is that she's just like she's always been like very thumbs down because Michael brought Disney into the picture when she knew deep in her bones that Disney was inferior to the Warner Brothers products. It makes sense because there was an argument, I believe, in a cut part of the script where Michael wanted to name his son Walter and she wanted to name his son Warner. (laughs) And that's really where the discrepancy came up. I will also say, now I'm back on the train here. Now I'm back in angry. Susan does a horrible job dropping news because everything she did, she has not consulted with Michael once about anything. We get it back in the scene where she says she's leaving where, like, Michael figures out. She's like, oh, you already took the job. You're not even asking me or talking about it with me beforehand. You're just flat out saying, like, no, I'm leaving. Deal with it. 
Same thing here. I think anybody else, again, even in the worst divorces, would be like, hey, uh, just so you know, Brian wants to adopt Walt. No, she's saying, it's happening. Get over it. Like, what an extremely callous woman is Susan. That is just beyond belief for me. I, I just, I, I am an utter disbelief of this character. And I won't get to the others too much, but many people are in the same of line of thinking as me. And that has really validated my own fury at this person for the way that she has approached the situation. When really, yes, this character has flaws, but from our perspective, he has done next to nothing to warrant this treatment from her. Um, I would be very curious to see if anybody has like a major defense of, of Susan. Like, I think that there's, there's defendable qualities to her. Like how mad should we be? She's going to die. <laughs> you know, she's on her way. Uh, you know, that's happening very soon. Um, yeah, but that's, but that she doesn't know that. Sure, 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 sure. Absolutely. I'm not saying that, but I, I'd be curious. I'd be curious if anybody has like a compelling argument in defense of Susan. Uh, I'd be, I would be down to read such a thing. If there's somebody who thinks we're being too harsh on her or sees things, differently uh, I, would, I would be curious to know um, back on the island Walt is missing again uh, Hurley comes to Michael and says yo Walt is gone he just took off into the woods with Vincent and Michael stands up and he goes I know where he's gone and we cut to commercial and I have in my <laughs> notes in big capital letters yikes because uh, yeah. that means Michael is going to lock with the intent <laughs> with the intention of murder. Uh, But it it plays out a lot more peacefully than that. Michael storms up to Locke. He goes, where the hell is he? I'm not in the mood for your games. So the way that he approaches Locke means that when he said, I will kill you, it was hyperbolic. It wasn't, it wasn't sincerely felt. Uh, I love that Boone go, uh, tries to intercede and Michael just looks at Boone and goes, do not, don't, don't talk to me. Uh, and Locke says, listen, he's not here. Walt's not here. I've been trying to respect your wishes. And now Michael's really worried. He's like, well, if he's not here, where is he? And this is where Locke stands up. And my man, John Locke, looks at, uh, looks at Michael, looks at the man who had just literally threatened his life publicly, no less, uh, for, the, for the minor crime of hanging out with Walt. Uh, he says, let's go find your boy. He puts that enmity aside, and he is ready to help the cause. He's back on the case immediately. Is Vincent to Walt as Boone is to Locke? Like, has Boone just become Locke's dog at this point? That's what uh, Michael says, right? He's yeah, like, he what are, his attack dog. You're his attack dog? I think so. Except Vincent would never hurt a fly. Yeah. To be fair, though, I feel like if something was hurting Walt, like Vincent would pounce at the ready. He just didn't need the opportunity to do so but it, it really does feel like uh, again you know especially post hearts and mind boone where we made the comparison of Locke to a cult leader last week boone feels like he drank that kool-aid and he did eat that kool-aid pudding last week but he really feels indoctrinated to the point where he's really turning away shannon really rebuffing her and he almost seems like catatonic and almost over the top with the way he's he's encountering Michael in these scenes. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because in retrospect, Hearts and Minds is really just like the origin story of a henchman, right? Like the way that he's yeah. played here in this episode, that he's really just an underling uh, and is really kind of just like a mindless zombie for, for Locke. Um, now I'm also, by the way, just kind of tangentially, uh, really uh, lamenting the fact that we don't get uh, Vincent attack dog uh, at any point on Lost. I feel like we're missing a real opportunity for a great action scene with Vincent versus the polar bear, Vincent versus the smoke monster. Listen, this is we're just providing more and more material for Rich if and when we finally go back to that RPG. Absolutely. Like, 
Billy and Rodney fought and fighting alongside Vincent. I'm here for it. Yeah, well, they also they've befriended a jungle cat in uh, their last That's adventure. True. So, that so I wonder if they'll get along like cats and dogs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, uh, so let's cut back to Charlie. He's with Kate. Um, uh, they're they're both very happy that they've got the diary. Charlie's saying that it's weird. I barely knew Claire, but she's been missing over for over a week, and every day she's gone, it feels like bits of me are crumbling, um, which I love because yeah. obviously Charlie's. I, I think that like Charlie's love for Claire is more central to his story than Claire's love for Charlie is to her story. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, that's also because Claire's story. She's got a really lot else. Well, she's also got a lot else going on. Uh, you know, for Charlie, like what he's got going on is admittedly a lot uh you know he's 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 going through drug addiction he's going through drug withdrawal he's trying to to get past these things and he's also falling in love uh but he's falling in love with claire and like eventually he's going to sacrifice his life uh on the promise that she's going to be okay there's some caveats to that but ultimately like that's the gist of what he's going to try Mm -hmm. and do here um so i just i love seeing that here i think it's a really nice moment here i really enjoy this charlie storyline in this episode and i especially enjoy it right now because kate uh kate leaves charlie (laughs) charlie's got the diary he takes like a little tiny peek at the diary then he stops himself he then he like puts it away then he like puts it he picks it back up then he like puts it back on the ground then he like he kind of like bites the diary then he puts it in the bag that was claire's bag and then he moves the bag away from himself because by moving the bag away from himself it's less tempting. And ultimately, like, he has to, like, walk away from the bag entirely. There's, like, no measure of discussing this. And I, I briefly considered including it as a sound, which would have just been, like, dead air for, <laughs> for a solid minute. Yeah, just, just a lot of rustling. And the, and, and the dead air would have, yeah, just been him, like, doing this great bit of physical comedy. Dominic Monaghan is, is so clownish in the best sense of the word uh, yeah. in, in this scene. And it's, just, it's a very, 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 very severely funny moment. It really is. And I, I like seeing it. Again, I know it's a bit of a swing back to the comical Charlie before the kidnapping, but Dominic Monaghan just does such a great job. It's great. It's paired so nicely with that with the, the crumbling moment that you mentioned. And, you know, I have seen some discourse, especially in the uh, Rob Has a Podcast Patreon group, about how, you know, some people feel like the whole Claire's Diary thing, especially the connection to the Black Rock, is sort of like a dead end, a mystery that gets set up and goes nowhere. But I feel like if you look at this more so, this storyline as a way to highlight charlie and claire's relationship less so than finding out mysteries about what claire may or may not be dreaming about it's much more satisfying that way and like you said it's very one-sided here much like it it sort of is in in the long run with the way that charlie is vocalizing how much he misses claire because we obviously don't get the other side of things we don't get that somewhere out there song between charlie and claire as they sing to the same moon but i think that that moment where charlie sort of comes to pieces a bit with Claire about how, you know, he wanted to find Claire's diary because it's something that reminds him of her. And the fact that, yes, he's in his own really bad mental state from nearly dying via Ethan's hands, but there's also the fact that he really does miss Claire. And the reason why they got kidnapped together is because he was with her because he really does care about her. Yeah. Um, So we find out where Walt is. He's just walking through the jungle with Vincent. He's probably just mad. He's storming off. Uh, And then Vincent starts barking like crazy at something. He breaks off from his leash. He goes deeper into the jungle. Walt goes in pursuit of Vincent. And it leads us to 
a Walt flashback within the Michael flashback episode. Mm. So this is a flashback scene with Walt at the center of it. And I know that this is like kind of like an unusual format breaking thing for a lot of viewers. But in the grand scheme of things, very, very minor in terms of format breaking. Uh, We definitely break format in much crazier ways than this. Uh, But let's go check in on Walt in Australia, who is uh, in the middle of a homework assignment. You should have seen him trying to weasel his way out. Anything not to let the case go forward. He was arguing it wasn't his jurisdiction. Oh, you're kidding me. I wish I was. Same argument third time in a row. Barkley said it was an immigration issue. Barkley. That's classic. He thinks because I'm new to Australian law that I'm some kind of yokel or something. Hey. Hello. Homework. I told you I need help. He needs help. I'm a lawyer, sweetheart. I can tell when someone's stalling. Who cares about birds of Australia anyway? We're in Australia. You okay? I think I'm feeling kind of fluey. Shouldn't we be studying birds of Egypt yeah, or something? You're sleeping much lately. Maybe you need to take a personal day. I picked the bronze kahuku. It's funny. You want to see? What about Barclay? I mean, it doesn't look funny. Just the name. Sleeping in my <laughs> That's too much. Hey, Brian, look. Look. Not looking. Not looking. Oh, my God. Is it dead? Yeah. Poor guy. Creepy. Yeah, so let's talk about this, because obviously I think this is the first big hint of, like, you know, Walt having some sort of weird powers considering that I Walter believe- Lloyd Birdmaster. Exactly. Uh, but before we get into that, actually, I did some research. I did my ornithology homework. <laughs> Susan, don't admonish me. Nice. Uh, uh, admonish me. The bronze cuckoo is it's super interesting, Josh, because the bronze cuckoo is the most southerly ranging brood parasitic bird species in the world. And so essentially what brood parasites are, are species that rely on others to raise their young. Huh. And it's and it's moments like this that maybe you're like, God damn it, this show is so good. Yeah, they really like, think the, the think writing is so awesome that like the symbology behind that, I mean, it's too good to not be coincidental, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh also you gotta imagine that when Walt says, Shouldn't we be studying the birds of Egypt? This is obviously a very early sign that they're gonna be getting into a lot of Egyptian stuff. They were definitely thinking about it this early on. I would imagine so. So, <laughs> of course, obviously, they, they had it in the in the mind since 100%. Egypt. 100%. It's in their hard. mind's eye. Walt materialized. Exactly. Uh, as they threw a knife at the dartboard to figure out exactly what storyline is going to be coming next. So g- give me your reaction to this moment. Because obviously, you know, we saw Walt throw the knife. We've seen other moments where maybe he was showing, like, a little bit of predilection or precognition. But, like, this is first, like, the most outwardly weird thing that happens with Walt in the room, and it really prompts Brian uh, to say those comments to Michael later. What was your reaction to this? Um, 
I mean, I didn't know what to think. Like, it's like suddenly, like now my mind is going to, okay, so Walt has animal powers. Uh, Certainly as you like pair it with the rest of the episode that the polar bear comes and attacks Walt. And it's like after like he's read the polar bear comic. And so like, is it like he's he's bringing the polar bear into reality or is he summoning the polar bear that's already out there on the island? But I think that like my my initial thought coming out of this episode is like, okay, so Walt's connected to animals. He's like connected deeply to to other creatures. Um, but I I think that there's there's other things that happen with Walt that like to to specify it to something quite that narrow of a lane of that like you know it was Walt Lloyd Beastmaster. Like I just don't think that that is quite. Uh, concise enough of an explanation Mm. for all of the weirdness that's going on with him and i know that we'll get into it in the others we've got like some production stuff to draw upon um the the great ben behind the curtain has uh has compiled a list of uh all the powers that walt seems to possess so it's definitely something that we'll be able to get into a little bit more but i remember the bird smashing into the window and being like oh man crazy creepy bird kid this is no good also it's a little bit triggered because i had a bird when i was a kid and it did not go well Ooh. Oh, jeez. Not, not a story fit for a podcast. What, would you be triggered if you had to do a report on birds, even if they were of Australia? No, 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 no. I've come around on birds, especially because my wife is, uh, she grew up raising chickens uh, in, in her past. So she, she could be our ornithology expert for sure if we ever need to summon Emily to the island. Uh, but uh, yeah, for, for, for young Josh Wiggler, uh, <laughs> he and the bird folk didn't get along so well. <laughs> It's so interesting uh, because I had a very similar reaction, but I guess my I reaction was, I had a very similar history of violence no, no, with no, birds. No, the, no, no birds in the Bloom household <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Uh, but I, I, it's so interesting when, we, when I watched this for the first time because my reaction was less like, oh, my God, he has this connection with animals. It was more so, oh, my God, something is screwed up with this kid. Like, I felt like what happened with the bird was straight out of something like Problem Child, you know, where, like, the fact that it happened after Walt got angry about Brian not paying attention to mm-hmm. his project made me feel like, okay, it's less about, like, ooh, intriguing characteristics, like Walt has The Shining, and more so, like, oh, Walt could become a legitimately, you know, uh, threat to this to these people that might be on the island, especially if the island is emboldening or Locke is emboldening these powers that, like, if Walt falls under the wrong forces, he could potentially become like a carry situation. That was my first impression. Right, I thought, right, right. I thought, you know, Walt's father ends up breaking bad in season two, but I thought Walt initially was going to be the one to break bad. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you bring up Problem Child because I believe that this is canon. Uh, that the reason why Libby initially survives Michael's shooting is because he shoots her in the prune. Uh, she's got a prune that's protecting uh, her abdomen, uh, but unfortunately, he shoots her twice. Uh, so uh, he hits her once in the prune, and then the other bullet just goes straight through. Yeah, I mean, listen, Libby loved to eat prunes with Hurley on that picnic, yeah. so that's why she packed a bunch of them. And they had smiley pies in the Dharma closet as well. Dharma-branded smiley pies. Um, all right, so that's all happening. It's very, very crazy. Um, and also, this is where we're starting to get uh, some hints about uh, what's going on with Susan. Uh, it seems like things are not going well uh, with with Susan. Um, back on the island, uh, Walt's still calling uh, for Vincent. Then there's some growling. There's some, the scary music. And we get another flashback. And this time we're back with Michael. And here he is. Frickin' Brian. Classic Ooh. 
Brian. I know they were saying classic Barclay, but really it's classic Brian who comes all the way from Sydney to New York to tell Michael that Susan is not only dead, but died yesterday, which means he flew immediately (laughs) from Susan's corpse straight to Michael's doorstep. There is no other way that this makes sense. This is a 24-hour trip. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, I definitely, again, not to get too, too much into our LVPs, I was really ready to throw all my points onto Susan before Brian comes into Brian! the picture. And in one scene, Brian proves to just completely bury himself. Yeah, I mean, like, yada, yada, yada. Brian shows him, he's like, hey, your son really scares me. I love Susan. Susan's dead. Susan foisted the child upon me. I told her I didn't want to be a dad, but she said that was the only way to do it, so I'm going to be the daddy, but I'm the worst daddy, all the worst daddies, and uh, I don't want him anymore. She's gone, and I want you to take him, and here's some tickets to go and pick him up from Sydney. Also, I came here straight from her corpse that's how terrified of your son i I walked in saw she was dead and i closed the door it's like like abe simpson just (laughs) walks right in takes off his hat sees the corpse takes the hat walks right back out i mean and the other thing is walt's like okay once again do you have walt with you for the umpteenth time they say no you're gonna take the full trip all the way from Sydney to New York to tell Michael that you want him to have Walt. You're not even going to bring Walt with you? What was the I, point of any I, of this? Yeah. I, why really did you do this immediately after she died? And I mean immediately. This had to happen within minutes of her dying if we were to take the timeline literally. She <laughs> died yesterday. He flew immediately to Michael, unless he was already flying. Uh, And like he's like, oh, Susan's on her way out. I can't stand to watch. Ooh, icky. I don't want to see the dead body. I saw the dead bird, and that scared me. Susan's death was imminent, and he just, like, got a head start. That's the the other option. Or he knew she was going to die at that moment in, in some way, shape, or form. Brian, terrible father, terrible husband. Terrible person. Terrible person. Bad let's guy. Just, yeah, let's just bring it out at that. Because that's the other thing as well is like, we're going to see, you know, Michael meet Walt. But, I mean, he sends Michael there. But he also gives Michael the instruction of like, okay, and then you're immediately going to come back here. Like, Brian, you have this palatial Australian estate. At least give him like a week to get to know him. Don't have him break the ice by saying like, hey, you're coming with me, let's get on this plane. And that's another reason why Brian is obviously a terrible father, as he acknowledges, is he has no sense whatsoever at how to handle a 10-year-old child's feelings, in any sense of the word. Here's two round-trip tickets from Sydney to New York. There's money for travel expenses in the envelopes. Go to Sydney and bring your son home because he's a freak. Things are weird when he's around. Things happen around him. He's different somehow. You might even say he's special. Do you think that, I mean, does this prove like, I wouldn't say Susan's wrong, but does does this validate Michael at all? Like, I, there's actually some really, obviously some great acting from Harold Perrineau, specifically in this scene. You can feel the anger seething in his voice when he says, you know, I haven't been Walt's father in nine years. But do we think the fact that, Brian has his tail tucked so far between his legs in this scene. Does that really show Michael, like, 
Susan made the wrong choice at the end of the day. God rest her soul. Uh, made the wrong choice in choosing Brian and like taking Walt away. Yeah, I mean, and that she said, like, Brian and I are going to adopt this child when it's very clear that she was forcing him away into the arms of a man who did not want to. Yeah, him. I think it's the kind of thing where, like, look, you you get um, you get hurt, you get injured emotionally, physically, whatever. And, like, you feel like there's a specific person or circumstance that you can blame. Um, and it's very raw and painful the closer you are to it. But time, uh, as as it does its thing, you know, it heals the wounds if not completely it at least soothes them to some degree and you get away from it and i think when when brian shows up at michael's doorstep michael probably wasn't thinking about susan and walt more than like a little bit in the background that yeah, day it's, it's been nine years or eight years i'm since sure that happened. i'm sure he thinks about walt every single day to some capacity right but you know it's it's more like a memory it's more you know it's more abstract to him he's had to move on it's been a decade he's had to move on with his life and accept the fact that he's not going to have a real relationship with his son um and now this guy walks in and is being such a blatantly awful father uh that i think that it, it immediately reopens that scar and all of that old damage starts pouring out um i love michael in this moment i love michael being like you're his dad what are you doing like i would love to be his father yeah, i would you, love you to have you not don't, you don't know how good you have yeah it. i this would love to I have want. not been away from him for for the last nine years but that's the fact i have been you're his dad uh it's awful it's it's really really tough um and, you know, we go back to the island very quickly and Michael and Locke, they're on the case. But even, you know, as quickly as that, we're back to the flashbacks. The flashbacks are really heavy for the for the final part of this episode. Uh, you know, we're Which off- is good because the on island stuff. Yeah, is not, not good. good. I mean, we're basically like we're bobbing and weaving between the flashbacks and Michael and Locke trying to save Walt from being trapped inside a tree by a very, very bad CGI polar bear. Yeah, you, you would think that like, OK, we straight away like the puppet didn't work from the pilot cgi is the way to go but like you think for a second like oh did they go back to the puppet no the cgi is just that bad well the quote the close-ups are fine like the close-ups of the polar bear are totally fine it's just like puppetry and it's whatever but like the 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 shots where like the wide shots where you're seeing behind the polar bear thankfully mercifully are pretty quick uh but like if you stop at all to examine it it's just a cartoon it's so clearly a cartoon um and there's there's a good bit of this uh really bad cgi throughout lost uh this never really stops uh season five the incident has a scene where the submarine is leaving the island that is really really awful basically basically anytime you ever see the submarine in motion it's awful uh so there's like this is not this is not their strong suit their loss is great at so much the cgi stuff can often be a little wonky when it's like a, uh, an object of focus uh as it is here with the cgi polar bear so like the long and short of it is Locke and michael are going to team together to save walt from the cgi polar bear uh they do like this really strange tree branch bridge walk to get to walt michael's gonna hop down he's gonna throw a knife to walt walt's gonna slash the bear uh 
Michael's going to climb down. Uh, he gets Walt out of there. Michael stabs at the bear, and the bear runs away, uh, and Locke watches it go ominously. I wonder if that's the same polar bear that Locke is going to torch in season three, where he's like watching it run away and be like, we will meet again. Uh, I'd like to think so. In my head canon, that is the case. Either way, uh, Vincent is missing. Locke is convinced that uh, Vincent will find his way back to Walt. He did once before. He will again. Michael and Locke, they're kind of like bonded now. It seems like they're mostly healed at this point. So that's the on-island stuff. And interspersed throughout all of that is stuff off-island. It's Michael going to Sydney because he has these two round-trip tickets to go and pick up his son. Uh, And he goes back to Sydney... He goes to, to, to Susan and Brian's, as you say, palatial home, uh, just like a beautiful home in Sydney. Uh, the, the nanny, Walt's nanny, gives Michael a box of something inside. We know what it is. It's all of the art, uh, the cards that Michael had created for Walt. It's a very powerful moment. The music yeah. is really powerful. Well, and it's also powerful due to the fact that due to the angle the camera's at, Josh, a familiar symbol happens to be on the ceiling. I mean, like, I don't know if that's like straight up a Dharma wheel, but it's it's certainly uh, an octagon of some kind. You know, it, it looks like a Dharma wheel that is uh, that is framed behind um, Harold Perrineau's head. It's a really cool shot. Uh, if you haven't gone back and watched the episode, I really, really enjoyed watching that scene. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, like, again, like, we, we had already talked about, like, is, is there a Dharma logo in the plane of Oceanic behind Walt? Uh, and that seems to have been been myth busted uh and i don't think that this is you know intended to to link directly to the dharma initiative at this point but it's just the kind of stuff when you go back through lost you can't help but notice this stuff um but the flashback's going to continue and michael who is now processing what's inside the box what's in the box uh he is going to to go to walt and have a very heavy conversation with his son that he has not seen in 10 years hey walt Who are you? I'm a... I'm your father. Hey. Um, I want you to know I can't explain how sorry I am about your mom. You should know that we, uh, hey, we loved each other very much when we had you. Where's Brian? Brian's not here. I come to bring you home with me. I'm not going anywhere with you. Well, can I? Uh, I know this is really hard to understand all of this. See, Brian. Brian loves you very much. And he wants you to stay with him, but it's not his choice. It's mine. I'm your legal guardian. And uh, it's not like he's going to disappear from your life. He'll still call you, write to you, come to see you whenever he can. And, you know, you'll still have your dog. 
but Vincent isn't mine. He's Brian's. Brian said you could have him. He definitely that, didn't say you could have Vincent. In fact, oh no, Brian was probably not, like, but, but, don't take Vincent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but whatever you, know you what? do, dog. No, I hate your son, but I love my dog. Oh, so is don't it, take is, my doggy away. Is it karma that the others kidnap Walt because Michael kidnapped Vincent? No, I think it's karma that Michael kidnaps Vincent because Brian's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that's, yeah. I think that's the karma. I, before we get into What I have in my notes about that, by the way, I don't think I should read out loud <laughs> in, the, in the podcast, but the line, but Vincent isn't mine. He's Brian's. I just imagine Michael being like, yeah, well, then let's just kidnap the shit out of Vincent because yeah, Brian's exactly. a douche. Just take and that's And that's the interesting thing as well, because again, like on top of all this, real remorse you feel for michael's a character for what he's been through on top of all that he ends up preserving walt's memories of his mother and of brian and you know, of he, brian of yeah he brian could, he protects he very, brian's legacy <laughs> he could very easily be like uh no this is you know uh walt says it tells michael yeah. all this time like why haven't you why haven't you seen me like blaming him you're the asshole you're the one who didn't want to see me when michael could open his mouth and say it but he knows how terrible it would be to you know he's just getting to meet this kid this kid grew up with a mother who might not have loved michael but loved the heck out of him for 10 years and that would have just shattered his world brian less so but i i really do sympathize with what michael does here i also like the second half of that sound clip like actually got me choked up because it's such a beautiful simple melody that plays over jim fells in his video this week it's a really short video because much like whatever the case may be there's a lot of uh reused melodies but this is a new one this is what's called uh the grieving motif it appears two more times besides this uh it plays at shannon's funeral when saeed speaks and it plays all the way in the aforementioned the incident uh when a young sawyer attends the funeral of his parents before jacob ends up giving him a pen not a pencil yeah uh, the, and the other great thing it does is if you hear it at the very end you hear the strings it starts bringing in our main theme it starts bringing in credit where credit is due which as we know always comes when someone is either brought into the fold or you know leaves the group and and we see it here as michael is bringing walt not only into the group but into his life it's a great scene. It really is. Again, like I think that the uh, the flashback component of the episode is really excellent. I, I think like the way that it's this microcosm of the greater theme of Lost uh, is it's just really really wonderful. It's wonderfully acted. Malcolm David Kelly is a really really good young actor. I know we'll talk about that more in a little while. Um, and obviously I've I've I'm outspoken about my love for Harold Perrineau, and that scene in particular is just a really really good scene, and it, it pairs really nicely. With with the next sound that will pull it's after all of the business with the polar bear has resolved and it's worth reiterating all the business with the polar bear sucks all of that's bad yeah. it's like manufactured drama it's it's one of the worst action scenes that we've gotten up to this point it's not a good scene it's an actively bad scene um but we come back and michael uh comes to walt that night after everything has calmed down and he's going to show him the contents of what's in the box <laughs> Hey, I got a present for you. Since you like to look at pictures, 
Texas. Well. Every card, every letter I sent you over the last eight years. You wrote me? Mm-hmm. I never saw these. Did my mom have these? Why didn't she give them to me? I don't know. But she didn't throw them away either, which means, you know, somewhere inside she wanted you to have them. So, you drew these? Just for you. This one. Did for your second birthday. A penguin with the sunburn? That's dumb. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Somewhere, Josh, a nurse just sheds a single tear, <laughs> knowing that a joke did not go. Oh, wait, I, so you mentioned this uh, yeah. that you know Malcolm David Kelly and Harold Purnell being great actors, but I, I think it's under very much understated, especially amongst Lost fans, how good they are together. Yes, exactly. Too yes. like these those past these past two sounds really show that how they really go. I mean, they went toe to toe earlier in the episode, and here they are in like a pretty genuinely sweet yet simple moment, and like. I don't know. In my opinion, they really pass as father and son. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that there's a, there's great chemistry there, uh, and another reason why this is a notable episode because you get to spend so much time with them together. Um, you know, you get to spend a record amount of time with them together, and all the time that you get to spend with Michael and Walt uh, is special. Uh, again, to draw from the title, because you don't get a ton. Uh, beyond season one uh given how everything works out at the end of the season and certainly given how things work out beyond the season uh and i think because of that chemistry i think like just naturally because of the circumstances you would be inclined to at least feel for michael's plight in in some capacity but i think like you feel so especially awful about what happens to walt and what happens to this relationship because harold perrineau and malcolm david kelly have such great chemistry as you say um i also think that it's it's nice that this is a moment where you know michael like basically covered for susan and brian in the previous flashback at the in, you know the final flashback of the episode and here he's not really covering for her, for for his uh, his ex girlfriend anymore for Walt's mother, but he is like trying to look on the brighter side of a of a sad situation. Uh, and what he's tr- the narrative he's trying to shape here is like she didn't throw these away. That means eventually she wanted you to have them, and that yeah. might be true. And like he'll never yeah. he'll never have a, a real answer for that. And if he wants to believe optimistically in himself, uh, in in this woman who meant a lot to him, even if she you know, hurt him in huge ways, still meant a lot to him um, and, and helped him bring this human being into the world. Um, you know, if he's to remember her fondly, uh, you know, he's giving himself a fighting chance at that. I think that that's pretty nice. Uh, and I, and I think that that pairs well with something that he says earlier in the episode when people are kind of scoffing at the raft ideas, like we let's try and have some optimism here, folks. And that's what Michael is trying to do here as well for his failed relationship with Susan. Uh, you know, having found this other way that she had harmed him and hurt his feelings deeply by not giving these cards even to Walt. Uh, he's like allowing for the possibility that like, Look, 
if she never wanted you to see them, she would have just paper shredded these things. That's true. You know, it's, but, it's, but she held on to them. Uh, and I, true. and I think that that is like a, a sweet way of preserve, like, you know, both like advocating for himself, like vouching for himself by giving these to Walt here and like having them bond closer to be like, I've loved you. I've always loved you. You're my son without being like, and your mom's terrible. Like, you know, he doesn't have to go that far. Yeah, and summarily, like you said, it's also a way for him to internally acknowledge of like, okay, she made me not see him. She she made me forcibly not a part of my son's life for 10 years, but she didn't immediately throw things away. Maybe that means something. And it, it doesn't mean like, oh, they want to get back together. Right, sure. And I would say, you know, what Susan did there, because I, I don't know, maybe I'm from Michael's perspective, maybe it's the shared name, but I do feel like she did keep them with the intention of, Maybe she wanted to tell Walt one day about Michael and show the letters, even though that would be a very loaded conversation, because then Walt would follow up, understandably, by being like, why did you not let him me see him at all? Why am I sitting here with Brian, who very clearly doesn't right. want to be here? Right. Uh, but I would say, you know, Susan doing that, that is the lone star in the very, very <laughs> sure. dark night sky Sure, Susan's characterization. But I, but I do think, again, to the point that Lost and, you know, Lost features complicated characters and human beings are complex by nature. Uh, and Susan is not a vividly drawn character. Uh, as she's portrayed to us, she is fairly two-dimensional, you know, antagonistic. Um, and yet she kept the cards. She didn't give them to Walt. She didn't show him. She didn't she didn't help. She didn't, you know, give him any kind of relationship with her with his biological father. Uh, but she could have thrown the cards away and she didn't. And why? We'll never know. Um, but like if you if you want to hang on to like the idea that even even, you know, the worst people uh, are capable of, of some measure of goodness or, you know, have have that lingering humanity in them. Uh, you know, everybody to some degree has the potential to keep the box of cards and you, you don't know what they're going to do with them. And they themselves might not even know, but they know they don't want to throw it away. Uh, and I think that there's some power to that. Um, but Brian's still terrible. But Brian is still the worst. Brian obviously did not keep anything. Uh, yeah, Brian was probably one who was like, just throw them away. They're just stupid drawings. I don't even get that joke. Oh, man. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's get to the end of the episode. And the episode ends with Charlie. He has succumbed to temptation. He's reading Claire's diary. It's nowhere near as nightmarish as uh, Sawyer had painted the picture for him earlier. In fact, she says, I really I realized I really like Charlie. He's so adorable and sweet like a Bonifee pie. Uh, she says, even in a scary place like this, Charlie makes me feel safe safe uh but then charlie reads something that freaks him out and he runs to jack and Said and says like i've been reading claire's diary i know i'm scum uh but she says that she's been having this dream again about the black rock i tried to leave it and it won't let me saeed says there's a black rock there's a black rock on the map what is it and we're not entirely sure even after the fact i guess you know I mean, was the Black Rock on the way to the staff? Because we know that, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, she was being given injections. I can't remember if she was ever taken to the staff before she ends up getting kidnapped, but... 
Or could this just be another, like, freaky island-based dream that, you know, uh, the powers that be are inflicting on some of these people? You know, I I was thinking about this because obviously what a Black Rock is versus what the Black Rock is are very different things. Um, But she's had the dream about Locke with the Black Stone and the Black Eye. Uh, And then, like, also, like, we know that the monster is a smoke monster if it's just, like, hovering very still. Could you confuse it for a black rock? Uh, so there's a, there's interpretations. As is, as the meme goes, uh, we are holding up a butterfly that is the black rock and asking, is this a smoke monster? Uh, but I think that you could you could view it that way. But if you're trying to view it like very straight and like they were like trying to set up what the black rock mystery was, uh, Lindelof had not walked into the writers' room at this point with his Eureka hat on, saying the black rock's a pirate ship. You know, like clearly at this point they don't quite know that that's the case. Yeah, either that or Danielle Russo stepped in and started writing in Claire's diary in her absence. Uh, Jack says, no use going out into the jungle in the middle of the night. Uh, tell that to Johnny Locke and Boone Carlisle, who are doing yeah, Apparently they do like, yeah, they're like, oh, all the best stuff happens at night. That's when we found the hatch. All right, so let's end the episode as the episode itself ends. One last sound of Locke and Boone in the jungle, and they make a discovery. Don't think that whistle's working, John. You can't hear everything, Bone. The sooner you learn that, the better. Well, I heard that. Vincent. Vincent, is that you? That's interesting because this might be my least favorite oh, ending of the first 14 it. episodes. Oh, it's great. Claire's back. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It feels like there's not enough fanfare around that, you know? Fan flare? Yeah, not enough flan, fl- flan, fan Claire. <laughs> flan uh, fair, if we want to pair it with E Claire. Exa- mm, that sounds like a delicious mm. uh, dessert. Much better ending to a meal than what. I don't know. Maybe just because the other episodes. I mean, Lost just. It, like has perfected the art of ending an episode. Maybe it's because we have been spoiled with 13 pretty interesting uh, endings. Like even the ones that weren't outright cliffhangers and reveals were things like in Tabula Rasa, uh, where it's just like a montage to close things up or like the moth. When Charlie looks up and sees the moth flying on the caves that are just like really, really heart rendering moments. I don't know. This one just rings a little hollow. Yeah, uh, I can see that. But at the same time, I felt like at the time I was like, oh, snap, Claire's back. This is intense. Whatever's going to happen next, it's going to bring us some answers. It was very exciting in the moment. And like where it leads us directly next week, we will litigate in the not too distant future. Uh, But I remember at the time, like being like, oh, Claire's back. All right. Forward momentum. And the fact that they're keeping her away for just as much time as they did keep her away, just a a small handful of episodes. I like I appreciate that 
a lot. I, th- I think it's great that we get to get Claire back in the mix really, really quickly. Just measuring it against some of the other endings uh, that we've encountered thus far. Um, I, th- I think it probably, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, 14 hours of Lost at this point, 13 episodes of Lost at this point. I don't think that I could comfortably say it's a top half ending, but it's not at the very bottom. Uh, I I think that like the House of the Rising Sun closing montage is nice, uh, but I don't know that it's as it's if it's as impactful as the shock ending here of Claire's return. Um, I think that the whatever the case may be ending certainly uh, is beautiful in its own right and is actually one of the stronger aspects of that episode, but I think that the Claire uh, reveal is more impactful and more classic. Oh, snap! Lost cliffhanger to me. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I think that it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I think it, it's a nice bedazzling moment uh, where you're like, oh god, where are we going next? Uh, and obviously where we're going next is the photocopier flashback, which I'm not thrilled about, but uh, you know, there's good potential at the time, for sure. Maybe if they, I don't know, maybe if it was a longer scene. Like, the, the what you just played was the entire scene, and that was a minute long. Maybe, now looking back at the episode, maybe we spent a little less time with the polar bear, and maybe a little more time with, like, Boone and Locke. Because one thing that made the hash discovery so big was, like, we spent time with Boone and Locke throughout the episode. You know, maybe that's one thing that's leading to my disconnect, is the episode's primarily about Walt and Michael, with some Locke thrown in there, and around Charlie stuff with Claire, it feels like we just haven't seen that much of Boone and Locke together that to have them end the episode. Maybe it's just because I'm directly comparing it to the last time we saw them end the episode, which was The Hatch, which, which was an all-timer, that it feels like impales in comparison. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll talk about all of this and more as we get into the 1516 Others section. But first, we must thank our great friends of this podcast that are making Down the Hatch possible. Those are our friends over at BetDSI. Mike, football, football, football! It's the time of year! We could make football even more exciting with Bet. DSI.com as our betting partner, Mike. Uh, BetDSI, it's a live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet on all the games right up until the final whistle. And new members who are hearing about BetDSI through us at Post Show Recaps, you can get a 100% bonus match using promo code RECAP101. It's double your money to start winning today. BetDSI has been paying winners for 20 years. It's top rated on betting review sites. It is a very user-friendly interface and mobile site. I should not say the user Mr. Friendly interface joke this time as it connects to Walt. It's still (laughs) too soon. BetDSI comes with the fastest payouts in the industry. You simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything. Bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. You can use live betting at BetDSI to bet on games from start to finish. Every play, every minute, until the end. As I said, new members are going to get a 100% bonus match using promo code RECAP101. Double your money to start winning today. So go to BetDSI.com, use that promo code, that's RECAP101, and get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. 
I. Let's get in to the other section, Mike, and let's begin, as we do, with a quick look back at the previous episode, Hearts and Minds. This is other number one, coming our way from Stefan Johnson, uh, who, like you, Mike, apparently uh, knows Korean uh, and has a translation for that scene between Hurley and Jin before Hurley starts fishing and he asks Jin for help and Jin says something and we wondered, is he saying something mean to Hurley? Apparently, what he is saying is, I don't play with amateurs. Please go away. <laughs> so shady. Very I shady. It. I love it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, I feel like we need to like redo. Like this is a very deep tangent, but uh, in the Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, there are certain characters that you interact with who speak ancient Hylian, who you don't know, you know what they're saying at the time. But if you play New Game Plus their text gets translated in the lower third, so you do know what they're saying. I feel like, again, in this remaster of Lost that maybe touches up the CGI, we need constant translations of what Jin and Sun are saying, even in scenes when they're in, you know, even when they're in scenes with people who speak English and don't speak Korean, because I just want to hear what they're saying that they know Hurley doesn't understand. Or you could just learn Korean is the other option. You could always go down the route that <laughs> Stefan and I have. Yes. It's not that hard. Um, all right. This is other number two. Mike, you've been called out. Uh, <laughs> this, 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 this will happen to us from time to time here. Uh, but a, a couple of people uh, are taking you to task, taking you to the court. Uh, for the way that you besmirched Boone Carlisle's tennis honor. Spencer Y. writes in and says, Mike Bloom, it is you who is the alien. Your parents should ask for a refund on all your childhood tennis training and camps that you attended growing up in Connecticut. Colin Latchford elaborates and says, first off, I love everything about Down the Hatch. It's made me rewatch Lost for the first time since it aired, and I'm loving this journey back into one of my all-time favorite shows, but... I needed to stop down partway through the Hearts and Minds recap to inform Mr. Bloom that he unfortunately is mistaken in his criticism of Boone's tennis lingo as a tennis coach. I will gladly share my knowledge that a winner is one of the most common tennis terms and Boone's line about hitting it for a winner is 100% how tennis players talk. For reference, a winner is a shot hit to win a tennis point that a player's opponent does not touch. Winners versus unforced errors is probably the most common statistic tracked in tennis. It sounds cheesy, but definitely accurate. Sorry to spoil that for you. Uh, so I guess you, uh, as an unforced error from Mike Bloom in his takedown of Boone Carlisle on the tennis court. Is it clear that I did not win many, if any, <laughs> tennis games in my short-lived career in the fact that I did not know that winner was a tennis term? I, I was it. not hearing it often. Uh, I will say, though, no shade whatsoever to Colin and the work that he's doing, but that might be one of the dumbest sports terms I've ever heard. What, a, win a winner? It just sounds so uncreative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's a winner. I mean, I guess so, but I feel like in a game that, you know, uh, comes up with the term love to refer to no points versus your opponent, couldn't they have done something else besides winner? Maybe Colin can work on uh, recontextualizing or redefining. It sounds like tennis is doing just fine, Mike. Perhaps it is you that needs to rebrand the winner. Listen, I think this entire thing could have stopped with Spencer calling an alien because it is completely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right. Well, the down the hatch tennis match is uh, for for your honor is uh, is is coming. <laughs> Listen, I will not be line. a winner in that. Yeah, one. That's we'll very do, clear. We'll do the 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 Island Open, uh, the the Island U.S. Open uh, coming your way at some point in 2029. Um, all right, let's continue. Let's go and shift to special, and let's start with some production notes from the Ben behind the curtain. Other number three. Uh, let's talk about uh, Walt Powers as they were discussed in the writer's room. Once again, Javier Grio, Mark's watch is Lost Will and Testament is a great resource. And he writes about this in the Lost Will and Testament, which we will, of course, as always, link to in our show notes. This is from Javier. He writes, even though we assumed from Jump Street that the polar bears had been brought to the island as part of the quote-unquote Medusa Corporation's work, and this is me, Josh Wigler, recall that they originally thought of it as the Medusa Corporation and not the Dharma mm. Initiative. Uh, Javier continues, there was also a very strong drive from Damon and J.J. Abrams to advance the story that Walt was a powerful psychic. This explained, for example, the bird hitting the window in the episode special. Walt as a psychic would also help us explain why the others had such an interest in Walt and would ultimately kidnap him. Although the genre verse powers that be at network and studio were resolutely opposed to the science fictional idea of a psychic boy who could manifest polar bears on a tropical island through the strength of will alone, Damon and JJ nevertheless gave themselves a backdoor into this area by putting the, the bear in a comic book that appeared both in the pilot and thereafter in the series. Wow, uh, that I actually had never known. Uh, that's wow, really amazing. That's, what a defiant move to be like, hey, you don't want this? Screw it. We have to put it in our pilot, so it's becoming a part of it anyway. Well, it's that you know, I think it gives them, as as Javier notes, a, a back door. Like it's something like we can pick this up if we want to. Uh, we can say like we can point back here and be like, aha, we had this in the comic the whole time. Uh, Javier continues. He says, frankly, it's hard for me to look at an episode like Special and not completely take from it that Walt is a powerful psychic who manifested the polar bear in order to test his father's love once and for all. But the execution of the episode left plenty of wiggle room to give us plausible deniability, even as Damon would regularly come into the writer's room, throw up his arms, and declare, of course, Walt's psychic. But, I mean, if you're psychic, that doesn't mean you can create animals, right? No, but I think it means that, like, you could draw them towards you. And if yeah. there's a window between you and the bird and you're drawing the bird towards you, it's not going to work out so great right. for the I, bird. I guess, I guess when I'm thinking of manifest, I'm more so thinking like create one out of thin air than attracting one, which I totally agree with you with your point that I think that would make sense. I personally have some thoughts about Walt's powers that I want to say for another point uh, later in this podcast. But so what do you think about this idea? Like, the fact that, you know, we get this acknowledged a few more times, but because Malcolm David Kelly's essentially written off the show, we don't really acknowledge these powers anymore. Do you feel like Lost would have been a fundamentally different show if a psychic boy had been a part of it for its entire run? Um, well, I, I think that there was definitely potential to, to bring Walt back, especially knowing that there's going to be like a three-year time jump, especially knowing that time travel is a piece of Lost later on. Like they could have drawn in a storyline of Walt goes back to the island sometime after everybody else has already returned to the island to help explain why he's uh, he's so much older. Uh, but they also could have just used the real world explanation that like three years pass between the Oceanic Six leaving the island and returning to the island. And in those three years, Walt has a tremendous growth spurt. You know, like they could have just had him be like a very mature 16 years old or whatever. Um I think that there, I think that there were still ways to utilize him, and I don't know what like Malcolm David Kelly's life became like 
after he leaves Lost and what is the feasibility of having him interrupt his life to return to Lost in a more uh, regular capacity, um, you know, at that point. I'm sure, you know, he's got school, he's got his career in other departments, uh, you know, he's ultimately going to have like a prolific uh, music career, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so like getting him back, I'm sure, is a bit of a to-do. That's the kind of thing where I'm saying like I'm having a little bit more empathy for the process of making a show as to why they weren't able to really satisfyingly close out the Walt story. But I think in terms of the direction the story went, there were ways to do it more satisfyingly. Um, And I think that having like a psychically powered teenage Walt could have been really interesting. Uh, It's why I think uh, like a lost sequel graphic novel or a Walt sequel, uh, a lost sequel series with Walt in the mix. You know, the the ending of the new man in charge, the epilogue at the end of Lost, uh, as per the DVDs, um, where, you know, uh, Ben and, and Hurley come to Walt and say your father can still be helped uh, is such an intriguing prospect because you build that into the canon. Like, what can that what could that look like? Uh, what does that mean about uh, Walt's connection to the island? What does that mean about his? the extent of his powers i think all of that is still very intriguing uh you know intriguing food for thought um and whether or not that took the shape of some sort of like official literal sequel or it's just the stuff of your head canon that you get to think about all the time that's part of what makes lost so special so i'm not that mad at it in the long haul but in the time like i i was not thrilled that like it started to become pretty clear that like we're just never really going to get a satisfying resolution to to walt's story yeah, it's, it, you bring up a lot of interesting points. I guess the thing that I'm thinking about, and I guess it's because you know you and I have spoken about Stranger Things very recently on post-show recaps, and I really do wonder, had they kept Walt on the show, would they have run into a similar problem that they did with Eleven? You know, we're like, hey, you have someone who is pretty darn powerful, especially compared to the rest of the characters. How do you still make interesting content? out of that you know and i think stranger things season three did a really great job with it with you know providing more emotions to 11 and you know reconciling and even you know uh impairing her powers at the end of the season and i could assume they'd probably do the same thing with walt but i can imagine it actually might have been a tougher hoop to jump through considering like if walt does indeed have these giant almost godlike powers on the island how do you create legitimately interesting conflicts for him would have probably been a very tough job to do. I would not have envied the writers in that case. Um, well, at the very least, this next storyline that we're going to talk about was abandoned. Um, this is other number four. This is one of those unused series Bible stories of the week uh, that we're bringing into the podcast. This is something that almost wound up on Lost if you take the Bible as gospel. Uh, with food scarce and Vincent the Labrador a mouth to feed himself a very serious debate breaks out as to what to do with the dog. Michael finds himself confronted with a hard choice, piss off the entire camp or risk breaking the already tenuous bond he holds with his son. Oh my God. Their storyline was like, should we kill the dog and eat the dog? Yeah. I think that this is a much more grizzled version of the castaways than we ever get. Yeah, these guys, this is like if HBO made Lost Now. You know, when I, I feel like our viewing of TV and what has passed the barrier of acceptance for, you know, quality television in terms of, uh, you know, graphicness or uh, tackling of subjects has really changed over the course of 15 years. I cannot imagine this going over well 
in 2004. Though to the point, everyone uh, absolutely loves animals nowadays. I feel like people would want to both emotionally and literally cancel Lost if they brought in a storyline like this today. You know, it was to the point where uh, Damon and Carlton would be like forthright about the fact that uh, no matter what else happened on Lost, they would confirm Vincent would survive. Like during the making of it, like on their podcasts and stuff, this was like one answer they were always cards up about. Vincent will make it. Uh, and in, in hindsight, actually a, a fairly clever spoiler to give right knowing that vincent yeah. would be key to the final scene of the series uh i think that that's actually like a, a really good tell that like they knew where they were going to end like they knew they would go back to the bamboo forest with jack lying down and vincent lying down next to him and he'd close his eye and go to sleep uh and by go to sleep i mean death uh <laughs> go to sleep and wake up maybe in a different place you know like so th- that's really clever uh but yeah like to think about like the fact that there was a world in which they considered there being a storyline about maybe eating vincent i'm so glad we didn't go there and to be fair wasn't this also a series bible story where like there was a serial killer on the island yeah so, i, I don't yeah, know how alter- like maybe they were just having fun with the series bible but the alternate universe loss comes from a very weird writer's room it yeah, seems for sure all right well let's get deeper into special with some feedback from everybody else uh other number five is just meditating on the question of do we really need to know why walt is special. And this comes from John Krauss, who says, it's been a while since I've rewatched the series, so I'm fuzzy on what else happens with Walt and his powers, but so far there's nothing in this episode that I feel like requires more answers. Walt may or may not be special. It's simple enough. Um, I agree. Uh, I think in the, in the long scale, I think like in the long haul, I think enough happens on the show that this becomes less important to me. And certainly I think circumstances dictate why uh, we don't get full resolution on this. Um, ben Martell notes, it, it's always irked me that people cite Walt's specialness as an unanswered mystery. The same doesn't seem to be said of Desmond, Hurley, or Miles. Um, I think the difference there for me is with Desmond, Desmond has like unique time traveling capabilities, right? Like either he's like seeing the future, it's like some measure of clairvoyance, or he's interacting uh, uniquely with time. Um, Hurley can speak with ghosts. Miles can divine impressions from ghosts. These are fairly easy things to name, whereas with Walt, it's a little bit harder to name, Um, which, which leads us nicely into the next other, where we're getting some questions about how is Walt special? Dave Baker writes, how did Lost detail Walt's special status over the course of the series? How much were those plans derailed by Malcolm David Kelly's prolonged absence from the show? I think that last point we've enumerated, um, but Ben Martell has compiled a list of the ways in which he has been able to surmise Walt's powers. So this is the list according to, to Ben. You ready? Mm hmm. Point number one, power number one, localized manifestations, bears that are already on the island, birds that are already in Australia. He can make himself appear elsewhere on the island. Power number two is that he has the ability to manifest outcomes. It's the mind's eye, dice rolls, knife throwing, rain. Power number three, he can see the future. He warns Locke not to open the hatch. That's coming up a little while from now. Uh, and then power number four, possibility of seeing slash talking to the dead, given the ending of oh, the, the series. Chris Hardwick power. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Hurley recruits him to help Michael uh, in the new man in charge. I would posit that you could potentially uh, combine his clairvoyance with 
the seeing slash talking to the dead. Like if we appreciate the idea that the whispers are people who have yet to move on and they can be interacted with. And if Hurley is recruiting Walt to come back to the island to quote unquote help Michael, then maybe that's because he recognizes in Walt the ability to interact with the whispers. And could Walt have like heard the whispers say the hatch is bad. Don't open the hatch. So let me posit something here, and this admittedly is not from me. I was doing some uh, fun hunting on Lostpedia, and I found a theory page for Walt that posits all of Walt's powers are related to electromagnetism in some manner. And I'll quote this, uh, this theory piece directly. One, Walt influences birds' flight patterns because birds navigate using the Earth's magnetic field. Two, Walt throws knives well by guiding them electromagnetically, just as the island guided the knife the man in black once threw in across the sea. Three, Walt can see the future because of how electromagnetism affected him, just as it did Desmond. Four, Walt can project himself through time and space because of electromagnetism, as seen in The Swan and Orkin, manipulates space and time. Before uh, I get to my connection with that theory and this episode. What are your thoughts I like about it. that? I love it. Of course. I mean, like, what is electromagnetic energy in the space of Lost uh, other than uh, a sciency name for the, the special juices flowing through the island? Uh, so does Walt have uh, a special relationship with the, the blood that is coursing through the veins of the island? Of course. I love that. That's great. On that note, I did a little bit of research and I found out that electromagnetism, specifically of, you know, the way the Earth functions with its gravity, does affect the way our blood flows. Uh, you know, that when you go up in space and gravity obviously changes your circulation. What I'm wondering, Josh, could it be possible, intentionally or not, Walt used his powers to somehow change the flow of his mother's blood Oh. To possibly cause a blood disease that came out of nowhere. Did Walt uh, kill his mother, Josh? He voted out his mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> Canonically, yes. Yes. I got one. Yes. I got one on there. Yes. Confirmed. Walt killed Susan. Uh, 100%. Uh, well, all the MVP points for Walt then. Yes, <laughs> change, a my, change my point. A million percent. A million percent. Uh, speaking of Susan, other number seven, why does Michael choose to protect Susan? And Brian, Jordan from Wisconsin, asks, why does Michael cover for Brian by telling Walt that Brian loves him very much? This seems like a mistake. Michael has no need to fall on his sword for Brian. I think we've articulated why we feel this way. I think it's like the responsible thing to do for whatever dumb reason Walt seems to like Brian. Uh, you <laughs> I think know, because he provided him with a dog. <laughs> in a palatial house to grow up in like that's great um and i think like listen he's he's got every right to to feel the way that he feels towards towards brian and michael's just walking into his life and for michael to walk into his life and disrupt it this way already again like just to use the word again it's disruptive it's very disruptive uh but then to like to be that person and then also say by the way your your father is a terrible person he's not a good guy and he doesn't want you uh it's just like you know lemon juice to the to the to the wound you know why yeah. do that um and i think also it's worth noting that in the future uh, uh, when Michael is going to like give like blunt, brutal honesty to Walt, when Walt's gonna be like, "Hey, so how did we get out of the island?" Michael's gonna be like, "Yeah, so I uh, I set the leader of the others free, but first I shot and killed two people because they were in the way." 
And Walt's like, cool. I never want to talk to you ever again. Yeah. Uh, so like, it's a delicate dance of like, you know, lying by omission and like when to like, you know, selective truth telling and how to sugarcoat something and like when to decide like maybe this is like a story or, a, a you know, this this is a story that we can discuss in full at another time. Uh, now is the inappropriate time to tell you that Brian is a piece of garbage. Yeah, careful of the things you say. Children will listen. Uh, but I think it's also it also goes back to the thing that obviously this is a very awkward situation. And I feel like what Michael wants to do is try to ensure as smooth of a transition as possible. And so I think he wants to keep Walt, to your point, as immersed in his current world and his current mode of thinking as possible so that, you know, when you do transition him from the hot water into the ice bath, uh, you, you, you don't want him to necessarily feel the shock initially. So if you're trying to tell him what he thinks, which is like, your mother loved you very much and she did everything that was best for you and Brian is someone who really cares for you, that's going to be a lot smoother transition on your behalf as well. So it almost benefits your process, too. For sure. Uh, all right, let's talk about how Susan is a terrible person. Uh, oh, finally, it's been like 10 minutes since uh, I've been able to not bag on Susan. Other number eight. This is from Lindy Steiner, who writes in, Susan didn't have to be romantically involved with Michael, but to cut him off from Walt seemingly only because she didn't want to be in a relationship with him. Ugh. Michael seemed to be a good father in Walt's early life, so why on earth is she so adamant that Michael should step back and Brian should be Walt's father? Michael wanted to be in Walt's life. He sent cards and letters throughout his life, and Susan cut him out. I think everyone involved was annoying at some point in the episode, but in my opinion, <laughs> Susan was the most frustrating and by far the worst because I just don't understand why she did the things she did. Uh, Kathleen uh, adds on to this and says, why, what, do you, what do you think the motivation of keeping Walt from Michael was from the mom's perspective? I have a son with my boyfriend and I have a hard time wrapping my head around keeping my son from his dad, no matter what our relationship status. Mm, uh, again, it, well, this is why if, if somebody's got a good defense of susan I'd, I'd like to hear it genuinely this is not me being facetious like if, if somebody has a, a a viewpoint into the character um that that is more sympathetic to the character i would be very interested in hearing that yeah um, i completely i completely agree and i think what lindy said at the end there i think really hit it on the head for me which is just you know with the other characters i agree that there are some negative qualities but even somebody like brian you know says hey, I really didn't want Walt, but I, you know, gr I grinned and bared it for a little while because I love Susan, and Susan loves Walt. Susan, to me, I just don't see the logic in nearly anything she did. And if someone wants to enlighten me into that, I would actually be really grateful because I'll admit my liking of this episode is a bit hampered by the fact that this character is very horrifically written and just really personified as a bad person. Uh, well, let's talk about great people uh, and characters who are written very well, but very sadly. Uh, Ander the Meat Man comes in uh, with this as other number nine and asks, is there a more tragic character on Lost than Michael? He's lied to and abandoned by his ex. He loses everything and then it's all dumped back on him. And unlike everybody else, his sins are apparently so unforgivable, despite the fact that many characters at the church in the end do way worse. I really feel for the guy. Uh, what do you think? Is Ander onto something? Is Michael the most tragic character on Lost? I mean, just in terms of, I spoke about this before, but in terms of his arc, I definitely think so. I mean, there are still very tragic things that happen. You know, you could talk about like Daniel Faraday getting killed by his own mom 
is probably like that's tough. The, yeah, the most brutal death. and like getting killed by his own mom, who then goes on to give birth to him and raise him the entire life, knowing that she's one day in the past going to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you have, like, Charles Winmore, who's not afraid to just mow anyone down to get what he wants. Obviously, you have Kimi, who has the similar disregard for people's lives. Ben Linus, too. But it's interesting. I would almost put Michael in that Ben category of, I mean, I guess the thing about, you know, the characters moving on is that it was very much an internal feeling of, like, okay, you know, I found my person. I made my peace. I'm ready to do this. But I think Michael's actually in a very similar situation as Ben sitting outside that church of like, it's not time for me yet. I still have some demons that I need to pursue and reconcile with. And that's a reason why Michael ends up being a whisper on the island through the new man in charge is I think that even though, again, he does do this thing to help sort of uh, provide good karma by the time he ends up finally dying in season four, he still has killed two people. And he's still, you know, he he's the impetus of the first half of season three by selling out four of his fellow castaways to the others in exchange for Walt. And that's something he's going to be really just harboring a guilt for forever. And I feel like what he has that maybe some of the characters don't is, you know, some of these characters uh, maybe are more able to forgive themselves for certain things than Michael does. Like they said, like Anders said, there are definitely worse things that some characters do, but unlike Michael, it seems they're more akin to say, okay, I did that, but it's time to move forward. Michael is somebody who feels like he's lingered in the past and the consequences of his actions. Yeah. Also on a practical level, there's no way to get um, Walt into the Flash sideways universe in a satisfying way as to fit with the fiction that they landed uh, in LA safely on Oceanic 815. Mm, That's true. Because he's like 500 feet tall. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I think like to, to, to find a way to do that in any sort of clean way, hard to picture, right? Like very hard to picture. And then you, you can't have Michael in the church if Walt's not there. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, so say, I what think, you, say what you want to about the whole Shannon and Saeed thing, but right. they at least had a connection. Like, I feel like having one without the other would feel You couldn't really have Walt weird. move on without Michael. You couldn't have Michael move on without Walt. I don't think, I think like if the, if the premise of the sideways is moving on with the people who were most important to you at the most important time in your life, I think that the argument could be made actually that for Michael, it was always about Walt. Everything he did on the Island was about Walt, even coming back to the Island when Walt wasn't there, it was about redeeming himself for Walt. And then for Walt, you know, he was too young to have any connection with any of these other people, but he comes back to the Island at some point in the future. And let's be, let's have some optimism here. Right. And let's imagine the world where he does help Michael. Are the two of them able to meet each other uh, and, and move on because the most important time that they spend is with each other. Uh, just happens to be ghost Michael, uh, you know, for, for taller ghost Walt, uh, as he is called. So, so is there, is there like a second wave in the church? Like that's where like, like, they'll get in like Daniel Faraday and Charlotte will be there of everyone who missed out on the first the first or whatever trip. yeah whatever their church is right like however they are able to pair off whatever world they create together uh one can only hope I, I think that if you want to get optimistic about the ending for Michael uh that is one way to do it um other number 10 apparently uh, this is coming from us uh from Stefan Johnson that the brown sedan that runs into Michael is going to be the same car that uh also runs into Locke in Deus Ex Machina uh, and is also going to be the car that causes Kate's accident with Tom later on in the season. Uh, That's hysterical. Um, My image is that 
a Hans Moleman like character from <laughs> The Simpsons is driving the car. This like just poor fuddy duddy old man and just keeps hitting characters at the most inopportune moments. That it, and it's not like Winmore or Jacob trying to control the events. That it's just one unfortunate accident-prone man who happens to run into these characters at the worst times. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, other number 11, uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick asks if the polar bear was the smoke monster. Obviously, yes. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I think basically Hydra Island, the cages were the smoke monster as well. Uh, yeah, and I feel like, actually, speaking of polar bears, this is the last time we're going to see him until that lock scene you mentioned, right? In uh, in season three, I want to say? The polar bears? Um, I mean, we'll see them in the Dharma video, at least. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess in terms of, like, activity on the island with our characters in the present. Yeah, I think uh, they probably could have done more with the polar bears in the, in the long scheme, but at the same time, if it was just going to be terrible CGI... Like in this episode, then maybe it's for the best. Yeah. And I wonder if they when they show, when we see that flashback of Charlotte with the polar bear in Tunisia, and then once we find out about the donkey wheel, it's just the show being like explaining it away so they don't they don't need to deal with it anymore. Right, 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 right. Um, other number 12 from Scott French. Do we think that Walt was a candidate to take Jacob's place? Um, Lloyd is not a name that is on the list of candidates uh, in the canon of Lost Mike. But Dawson is, mm. and and uh, there's so much debate about whether 42 Quan pertained to Jin or Sun. Why aren't we debating whether or not uh, 124 Dawson could have been Michael? But maybe it's it's Walt who who chose to become a Dawson again after he found kinship with his father. I love that theory sincerely because i think that would be a great like symbol of walt bringing michael and his legacy into his life and also the fact that i do think if you look at them on paper walt's probably the more preferable candidate to michael not just in powers but just to his general empathy and his way of looking at the world and obviously how his experiences have hardened them in his own way so i'm all for it i'm for walt being a candidate uh, other number 13 from Stefan Johnson. Can we please appreciate how unannoying Walt is? Usually on TV shows, even the good ones like Breaking Bad and The Sopranos, the kids are the worst. <laughs> but Walt is not. In fact, most people are more annoyed with Michael. Maybe it's the lack of other kids on the show, so Walt only interacts and reacts to adults. But how great is Malcolm David Kelly? He goes toe to toe with several great actors and pulls his own weight on the show. Uh, yeah. Uh, agreed fully I, I again like i think if if walt isn't um if malcolm david kelly doesn't play walt the way he plays walt uh if he doesn't like bring so much of that great energy to that character i think that he just does not pop the same way uh and he he really is a, a really compelling character uh and there's never a moment where you think he's annoying like his scene with sawyer uh several episodes ago was so much fun uh all of his stuff in this episode was really really great i love yeah. malcolm david kelly as walt and that's the thing is that, you know, I think one of the reasons maybe why it's gone unacknowledged, at least on the podcast so far, save for a couple of MVP points, is because from the perspective we've seen Walt, it's usually like Locke teaching him something. And in that case, it's not necessarily like Walt really being this great character and more so like him responding to something that Locke's doing. And that's why when we go back to all the best daddies and we have Walt talk with Sawyer, that's such a great scene, right? Because that's Walt bringing out some character. And this episode's another really great example so i i do love it i love the fact that they give malcolm david kelly this ability to like stretch beyond the kid that just stands there and goes oh cool 
he actually has the ability to react to things and have his own feelings about things as I've shown in this episode. And it's really great to watch. 100%. Um, John Krause has other number 14 here with some memories of some way out theories. Uh, he writes, I remember a lot of theorizing on the lost message boards about Michael's wacky paintings, the scenes in the flashbacks. People even photoshopped them on top of Rousseau's maps of the island. And eventually during season two, they tried to match it up to the map on the hatch's blast door. Everyone was convinced that there was a connection to Walt being special and Michael being a bit of an avant-garde artist. People went nuts on the message boards about Walt's comic book too. The close of the big purple alien and the island in a bubble fueled a lot of the discussions about what could be going on on the island. I remember when the big foot was discovered in season two that people thought it was the purple aliens. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love that John's bringing this up. You know, I think we try to dote on some historical stuff. We certainly did in this episode, but it really cannot be uh, undersold how much rampant speculation was going on at the time. And I will say that even though looking back, I think the law, the you know Walt being special stuff is maybe something that we're like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's maybe more representative, uh, you know, than something that needs to be literal. At the moment, this made people froth at the mouth at this idea of like, oh my god, there's a psychic Kate. How can this be linked to things? What does this mean for the island moving forward? So I think that from the macro, it's a little more palatable. But I think in the micro, certainly that definitely helped fuel all fuel all this speculation. Uh, and then other number 15, before we move on into the points, uh, is Dallin Cervo, uh, who reports two more dudes, bringing us to a total of 41 dudes uh, through this point and lost from Hurley. Uh, Dallin Cervo asks, what's the dumbest joke you've ever heard? Mm, I don't uh, know. I've, I've had a lot of them that have come from my own mouth, I'm sure. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, like, <laughs> it's tough to call dumb without, yeah. you know, referring to the fact that I tell many, many dumb jokes. I guess a, a, not a dumb joke, but just like a really stupid joke that I hear consistently is um, what happened to the kid uh, who fell off the swing? He had no arms. <laughs> there, in my acapella group, we asked audition, auditionees to come in and tell a joke, and that's the one that always stuck out to me as just being... <laughs> Really wrong, yet really stupid. So that's really stuck with me over the years. Uh -huh, yeah. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but nothing's coming to mind. Uh, I won't waste too much space here. Count Jacula. Yeah, he's always getting up again. No, no, no. No, I gotta sit down. I gotta sit on the lid. Yeah. That's no. not reviving him. He's like Beetlejuice. No, yeah. I have to say it two more times. Or just one more time, because you already said it once. And then he'll have to, he'll reappear here. Uh, let's get to 23 points. This week, I'm giving out two MVPs. You're giving out three. You're giving out two LVPs, Mike. I'm giving out three. Uh, coming into the week, Kate still sits at the top. Uh, there's a four-way tie for second place between Saeed, Locke, and Charlie and Son with four points apiece. Uh, and Jack bringing up the bronze with three points. Uh, the story, I think, here is going to be um, Michael. Like, I don't think that numerically, unless we just, like, like aligned here and decided to dump all of our points on either Brian and Susan. Uh, there's no one who's going to be able to dethrone Christian as LVP uh, with negative four right now, other than potentially Michael. But to, to spoil it, there's no universe where we're giving Michael any LVP points this week. If, in fact, I think the question is, where does Michael go from here? He's currently sitting at negative three points in the 23 points section. Will he go much higher up? Will he get closer to the baseline? Will he go past the baseline? Let's find out. Mike, give us what you got. MVP number one. Well, it's going to be a good start for Michael. 
I'm giving him not one, but two of my three MVP points. I think that the flashback has given him not only a lot of context into who he is as a person, but the crappy hand he's been dealt, quite the opposite from Boone's four aces. And I think that, you know, the on terms of the on-island stuff, yes, he was a bit snippy with Walt, but I think that really shows how he's sort of coming apart at the seams when it comes to a relationship that he got foisted upon him and he's trying to figure out, he's trying to build this plane as it flies. And speaking of which, I want to get I want to give him some credit too for this raft idea. I think it's super practical. I'm and I'm glad this sort of shows his immediacy in wanting to get off the island specifically for his son's benefit. You know, this isn't a Shannon like, oh, I need to get off there just so I don't want to live on Crap Hole Island anymore, except I'm seasick. This is someone who's like I need to give my son a better life because, you know, he's now come into my life and I, I love him to death and I need to make things the best for him. So the selflessness that he displayed throughout this episode, in spite of the selfishness he's shown in the past, I got to give two to him here. Yeah, I'm giving him two as well. Uh, Whoa! I, I was originally thinking about giving one to Locke because of the way that he rebounds from being told that uh, Michael will end his life uh, and then deciding to help Michael instead. I felt like, you know, maybe show some support for the fact that he's a pretty big man in that moment. Um, but with that being said, this is just it's a really great Michael episode. And I think we've been very hard on Michael. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily undeserved. But I think that the power of of Lost is when it can recontextualize somebody. And I think that this episode really recontextualized recontextualizes Michael in a great way, uh, in a way that is worthy of him not only clearing out of the LVP uh, section, but I think also springing him into the plus side. He does start the process of building Raft 1.0. Uh, he starts the process of really reconciling with his son he's able to put his bullshit with john locke behind him uh in the past we see just how wronged he he was and the way that he he takes it on himself to take some hits for brian and susan that he really doesn't have to on top of that harold perino is awesome and it's a yep. great you know finally getting a, a moment to really showcase that um so for all of those reasons i'll put both of my mvp points on michael this week uh and that officially puts him in the positive category Michael standing with one MVP point overall. Wow, now you can go, Michael. Now you you've been able <laughs> now to... you're well, I mean he's probably gonna dip back down. Yeah, once friend. we get once we get to season two. <laughs> but uh, at least for today, let's give it make it a special day for Michael. Yeah, much like the raft, he's treading water at the moment. Uh I'm going to give my final MVP point. Let, let's not stray far from the Dalson Lloyd of it all. I'm gonna give it to Walt. Yep. Look, he can be a little bit of a git this episode but uh you know i'm gonna take a page of the josh wiggler playbook here and just give him a point just due to the impressiveness of both the knife throw uh the bird and possibly killing his mom uh just the the display of powers unlike we've seen and will ever see on lost uh just the 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 literal magnetism of it is, is going to get him a point here. Uh, and then to, to dip into the LVPs, I think we can go through this pretty quickly. It's really just a question of how badly Brian and Susan are going to... I have to give an LVP to the polar bear because the CGI is so terrible. And I realize that the polar bear from the pilot, I don't believe, got an LVP. Uh, and it did die. So I think retroactively, this is just like my shot to take a shot at the polar bear. So the polar bear is going to get a minus one. But then how do you want to do this on Brian and Susan? Because they're I, both terrible. Do we just split the difference and 2-2 two, two it up? 
Yeah, because I, I feel like, if, like I, I think just purely on weight of actions, I would want to give Susan three and Brian one, but it feels wrong to give only Brian only one, right? Especially if the polar bear is getting one. So I and it like, has to because the CGI is just so atrocious. Yeah, and it, so I, I feel like splitting between It like between brings them, down the entire episode, so you have I, to give it an LVP. But I think the fact that Brian in one scene is on equal LVP footing with Susan, who spreads her crappiness amongst like three to four flashbacks. That's scenes. like, it's a deeply felt negative two. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And yeah, I like you said before, I am upset that, you know, uh, unfortunately, due to the way that things work out, it's not going to put them on the level as, as our Randy Nations or Thomases of the world. But I will say Susan does appear in a drift, so there might be another opportunity. All right. Well, let's rank the episode itself. Uh, let's get into the 4.2 stars. As I had mentioned last week, the Ben behind the curtain, uh, Ben Martell had said that this is the worst episode of season one for him by far. Uh, and uh, wanted to give him the opportunity to explain further why. Uh, so this is, this is what he wrote in defense of special as his least favorite episode of the season. He says, first, I'll just get one thing out of the way harold perrino is a phenomenal actor and boy does he make the flashbacks hit home but for me it's still the worst of season one susan lloyd is without a doubt the worst character on lost worse than byling worse than isabel worse than thomas worse than zoe the worst Brian is nearly as bad. Oh my God, Zoe! I cannot wait to get Charles, to Charles Winmore's Tina Fey cosplayer. That's oh be my fun. God! I don't know that I can sign off on Susan being the worst character on Lost. There are a few contenders for that for me. Um, uh, ben continues. The episode is dominated by Michael and Locke continuing an interminable conflict that feels like, for any rational person, should have ended when Locke found Vincent and then let Michael get the credit. How Michael still hates Locke eleven episodes later is beyond me. And yet, even when Locke is trying to do the right thing in the episode, Michael won't hear him out. Out. the michael Locke walt plot line feels entirely rehashed from earlier episodes i i mean i could see that but at the same time uh i would disagree with the notion that like michael should have let it go since Locke helped find vincent if anything i, I know that Locke said like hey i'm gonna give you the credit for it much like actually michael did with brian and susan but you have to imagine especially given michael's situation and the fact that you know he is one of a couple dads in walt's life off island that there would be some resentment there. And honestly, I do wonder, actually, thinking about it, how much projection of Brian is on lock with Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fair, too. 100%. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that makes sense to me. Um, ben adds that the episode stunts or reverses character growth. Michael is being a really bad dad. Locke regresses in his sensitivity to Michael and Walt's need to bond. Charlie shouldn't be reading Claire's diary, as funny as Dominic Monaghan is. Said is against building a raft. Boone calls Shannon a bulimic after letting go of the episode before. The characterizations in this episode really irk Ben Martell. What is, I don't get the Locke portion. Because doesn't because doesn't Locke say like I respect your dad's? Well, I, I think in the, at, at the start he's throwing you know he's doing knife throwing with Walt and then he tells Michael uh, like you gotta you gotta be uh, you gotta be open to Walt uh, realizing his potential out here. Uh, right. But I mean that's that's quick and that's already established, right? Like he's already doing that as early on as solitary. He's throwing knives with Walt. Exactly. So I don't think that that's regressive. I think it's continuing that arc. And I would also say that anything that happens that immediately gets walked back when Michael's like, hey, don't do that. And he's like, okay, I won't do that anymore. So that feels almost like an advancement. I feel like overall, the Michael Walt storyline gets advanced considerably. Yeah, I you know, agree. We, we never see conflict between them really again until Walt ends up burning the raft. And so, like, I think any rockiness of their relationship, they overcome those rocks, those black rocks, and they move forward. So I love you, Ben, but I'm going to have to disagree with you on this point, specifically from the Michael and Locke perspective. 
Spoon, I agree. Yeah, not bad. great, not bad. great form. But from bad the for main ben. crux of the episode, I feel like this is a significant advancement in their relationship. Ben adds the handling of Walt's special abilities here was poor. The episode gave an implicit promise about what we would learn about Walt that wasn't delivered upon. Maybe people wouldn't have been so worried about not finding out more information if the show hadn't made such a big deal of it. And I think that that's fair as it pertains to expectations. And so, yeah. like, if, if you're if you're looking back uh, on special, it's like the episode that really set you up for a big Walt reveal. And if that's something that still sticks in your craw about Lost in a big way, it'd be hard not to be pretty annoyed about this episode. Um, for me, I think. Um, um, one of one of the advancements of my relationship with Lost uh, as the show has been over for so long now uh, and the times that I've come back and, and revisited it and, and knowing, you know, which questions will get definitive answers and what's going to be left for interpretation or what's just going to be left unaddressed and unacknowledged. Um, it makes me focus more on like the character stuff. And so for me, going back and watching special this time around really was so much less about what are Walt's powers and so much more about what is the power between Michael and Walt. And so for, for me, that really, that, that worked really well. Uh, the flashback stuff in this episode uh, was some of the best that I've gotten through uh, here um, through, uh, through 14 hours of Lost. It's an interesting point. Actually, going back to what you were saying about like Desmond and Hurley and Miles, it's interesting because I think what gave their characters also a different reception than Walt is... Walt, this was presented at a time where a lot of big mysteries were being presented and summarily followed up on, even if it took seasons later. You know, we found out why the polar bear was on the island. We found out why Claire got taken. We found out who the others were. Yet this was something that was not directly answered. And I feel like this is one of the first big times on Lost when that didn't happen and that's significant in a viewer's mind because that made them realize, oh, crap, not all of our questions are going to be answered. So then with expectations, when you come up to like, why does Miles be able to how is it Miles be able to talk with the dead? I don't know. But you know what? They didn't tell us about Walt. So I feel like not everything is going to be answered here on Lost. Unfortunately, I feel like uh Walt could kind of crawl so that those guys could fly. <laughs> right. Uh, and then Ben's final point is that uh, to top it all off, the bear has to be as bad as Lost CGI ever gets. Pretty damn close. Uh, you know, again, mm-hmm. there's some other bad examples, but the bear is awful. Um, and in my accounting of the episode, um, I think for me, there's no universe where this is competitive with, with, with whatever the case may be as the worst episode of the season. I agree. Uh, I think that the, the AB plot for special versus whatever the case may be, it's night and day as to which one is better uh specials uh, so much better with uh, with with the michael and walt storyline uh which is like you know whatever it is on the island i mean it is there's such a heavy emphasis on the flashback portion and how that's contextualizing sort of these quieter softer moments and even the louder moments of, of michael's relationship with his son and his son's relationship with his father in kind um and all that stuff is very very powerful both within those characters but also thematically for the greater arc of lost uh whatever the case may be has the stronger cd arc uh the the charlie and rose storyline uh for example and the development of the saeed and shannon relationship is 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 really fun to to go back and revisit um but they're like not so much better than um charlie's storyline here of going back and doing the claire stuff like that's a kind of take it or leave it storyline but it does give it that uh, give us that really great physical comedy bit uh, with Dominic Monaghan. Um, so it's at least inoffensive. Here's where the episode gets dinged up. 
the episode does get dinged up for me in terms of like the historic qualities of like this is lobbing up Walt's special abilities and it doesn't really get deeply clarified. If that's going to trip you up, that's totally understandable and I get it. And I do think that it at least holds it back for me to some degree. But what really holds it back for me is that the the stuff with the bear sucks. It's just yeah. like outright sucks. And it doesn't even matter. Like the CGI is not great, but just like it feels very low stakes. You know, nobody's really in trouble here. You know, nobody's going to get hurt here. Uh, it's just like a scene that like, if not for the fact that the flashback stuff was so compelling, and if not for the fact that you and I have to talk about every single aspect of the show in detail, like I, if I was just watching it just to watch it, I would probably probably at that point i would skip to the next episode like the Mm -hmm. second that we start getting into that uh to the point that like the further away that i get from special the more and more i'm likely to remember this is the one that has like the really stupid polar bear scene (laughs) and with the stuff with michael and walt can be summed up well enough in my mind that i don't need to go back and revisit it so i might just skip special if i'm doing a fast blitz through lost um so for those reasons those aren't great things those those hold it back this could have been like a 3.0 around the area of the moth for me um i think it's the De- decisively a worse episode than the moth i think i'm probably rating it higher than it deserves um i'm giving it a 2.8 is where i'm ultimately landing with with it uh which is actually what the audience gives it as well that's the current audience average as we're recording this is a 2.8 as well uh so that's 0.7 points higher than whatever the case may be that feels like a a, a fairly significant distance away from whatever the case may be but i still do think it should be a good distance away from whatever the case may be i may in the end like feel like i rated this too highly uh but i am not i'm not upset at a 2.8 and i think a lot of the thematic material we got to talk about with michael and walt uh validates the fact that this is a worthy episode of discussion for sure there are some lost episodes and we're starting to realize this as we get into the teens of this season where the character stuff is interesting and rich but the plot is yeah, not 100 percent, and this is an example of that where the character stuff you know i really like this episode's concept because just like i talked about with hearts and minds like i would rather find out new information about a character than something like whatever the case may be where we went back to kate's well and that water was dirty and that did not leave a good taste in our mouths i find You know, even though, like you said, the actual stuff on the island with Michael, Walt, and Locke is not great, I would argue that outside of that that Walt and Michael scene at the very end, there's really not a lot to write home about, much like Michael wrote Walt, but I would still enjoy it more than whatever the case may be. Because if you're talking about regressive, to me, that's what whatever the case may be feels when it comes to, you know, Kate's character, her relationship with Jack, and Sawyer specifically— I can't say things highly enough about the flashbacks. They are tragic, but you said at the very beginning of this podcast that you were waiting for Harold Perrineau to find his moment, and they're going to be few and far between in this series, unfortunately, but God damn if this is not a moment for him. It's so well done. You feel the pathos, you feel the fury, and you feel the sympathy behind Michael, and in an instant, it really makes you sort of feel for the character in an opportunity where you really haven't before, and I'm so glad that in the rest of season one, we're not going to have these regressive moments where, you know, they get in a fight again because this has instrumentally changed not only the way we view Michael, but the way that Michael views Walt. Uh, and I think that's a, it's a really cool step in their journey. And the but, way that Walt views Michael, too. Yeah. 
you know, exactly. And, and this is actually like to, to set up for much further down the line why I put an episode like whatever the case may be behind an episode like Stranger in a Strange Land for all the warts that are on the face of Stranger in a Strange Land. And indeed, there are very many. Um, the fact that that flashback takes you back to a point in Jack's life where like he's not doing well and like he's like really going weirdly outside of his comfort zone post divorce on some kind of like vision quest like it's clumsily written and clumsily done but the utility of that episode is it puts you in a position that when you get to through the looking glass you can buy a reality where jack in the past was flying on airplanes for whatever reason getting drunk like a skunk uh and like was in like a really low point in his life so that episode stranger in a strange land at least has that ability to like really sharpen a much better future episode so there's some utility to that even if it could have been done better special is a much less offensive example <laughs> of a similar thing where special is the episode where even if it's itself not like the most special episode even if it's like relatively unremarkable compared to some of its brethren uh i think that special becomes an episode that brings michael and walt so much closer together so that you do eventually finally buy into that relationship that they are working towards something really sweet uh that it's not just how michael views walt uh but also how walt views michael exactly. that's going to make the kidnapping so harsh it's going to make yeah. it so hard to watch which you and i again we did that exodus oh. uh conversation with jack uh it was so horrible to go back and watch that yeah um, and, then, and then to come back and watch this it's just like my heart is bending and then breaking again my heart can't take it it feels like walt's manipulating my blood uh so when it comes back to the numbers of it all uh i gave the moth 2.8 i agree with you in that i do feel like this is at least a slightly worse episode than the moth uh so i'm gonna give it a 2.7 overall and i think what we've settled upon is if we take the a and b plot from special and combine it with the c and d plots from whatever the case may be it's a pretty damn good episode of lost yeah 100 percent uh so you're giving it a 2.7 yep i'm sticking i'm sticking with it a 2.7 from mike a 2.8 from me a 2.8 from the audience a 2.75 currently as the official down the hatch score that puts it in second to last place i think that's appropriate i think that's the right place for it to be right now but i definitely think it's a better episode than whatever the case may be still having gone back and revisited these two episodes but but uh, you know again we're willing to hear the arguments like we did with the ben if any I'm tr- i've been trying to come up with a, a a term for down the hatch listeners josh how do you feel about hatchlings the hatchlings oh my god uh i think like the hatchies if the hatchies or the hatchlings or whoever want to want to sound up, or the hatches want to sound off about that or sound off about what we should call you guys, feel free to because this other section has been absolutely awesome each and every week to get everybody's varying opinions, especially because they've been so divergent between us and the listeners in the past couple of weeks. For sure. So if you got more takes on special, of course, we will read them on next week's podcast. Of course, if you're not contributing to the 4.2 stars section, we want you to. You can send your ratings of each episode to our email address down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. The season one rankings are flexible all the way through the end of season one. And we'll maybe even keep them open a little while into season two just to get everybody caught up. Um, but 
in short order, we will lock them in uh, and you will not be able to, to continue sending those in for season one. Um, but as it stands, whatever the case may be, is still the worst episode of Lost through this point of the rewatch. Is that going to be threatened next week mm. with Homecoming, <laughs> uh, which is, I believe, Damon Lindelof has said that's his least favorite episode that they've ever done on Lost. Um, I, I wonder if we can pull some of that stuff in from behind the scenes yeah. to, to talk about next week. Uh, but we'll be dropping that in your feeds November 22nd. Get your feedback in by the morning at the latest of November 19th. Homecoming, the second Charlie Pace flashback episode is almost upon us. Get your feedback and your comments and your questions in for the 1516 others through our email address down the hatch at posterrecaps.com or tweet at us at posterrecaps at Ron Howard at a Mike Bloom type. If you have not subscribed already, please do so. Your ratings and reviews are so greatly appreciated. If you haven't left a review yet, we would really, 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 super, 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 appreciate it it'd be great um mike bloom uh that's all i've got this week yeah uh i mean i do apologize after the fact uh for you know getting a bit heated a bit yelly uh as i was talking about susan nah, man it's a podcast this i is mean what, th- this is what you're here for we talked about this last week i was intrigued to see how i would react to this episode and it really emotionally charged me in a lot of ways and you know uh, we definitely talked about how it views michael in a different way i'm very intrigued to see how they're going to you know really shade his character uh from the rest of this time and how that might affect the way that i view things considering uh, my own sense of fatherhood and i'm extraordinarily lucky to have not gone through the horror that michael did but i'm just thankful i do not have a susan in my life. I have a very loving mother to Asher who uh, will be there for him no matter what. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I might not be able to draw him pictures, though. She's a much better artist than I am. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, next week is going to be very interesting. This is a flashback that I do not remember whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Whatsoever. This feels like I was reading the, the synopsis. This honestly could have come out of the series Bible. I, I know. No I know. It, do, it definitely does feel like that. Uh, as a homecoming would be an episode that would rival whatever the case may be, potentially. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, it's been it's been a while since like I've looked back on it critically. Uh, but I, I think if we can remember to talk about it, I think that it's an episode that suffers at least somewhat um, for the same reasons that Michael's second flash back episode is going to suffer as well um so so we can apply some of the conversation from special uh to ho- homecoming even uh we will do that next week we'll be back next week talking about homecoming until then everybody take care goodbye Thank you.